Welcome you um, colleagues um, to our meeting this morning on SAA related matters. Um, okay, I'll give the context just now. Let me take the opportunity to welcome the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Public Enterprises um, and the respective DGs and the delegations uh, which are all here, um, SAA as well, National Treasury, AG, SIU, as usual. <clears throat> all right, so colleagues, we are meeting this uh, morning because we had an engagement with National Treasury um, late February, early March. In that meeting, a question was posed um, on the disposal of 51% of SAA. National Treasury then requested uh, 14 days to respond uh, to the questions that were posed in so far as I would say its role uh, and the information that it had on this. The response was received from National Treasury from the Director General, um, effectively saying that uh, National Treasury had no role in the disposal of the 51%. Recording in progress. Um, then correspondence was then submitted to the Minister of Public Enterprises uh, on the basis of that correspondence. And the minister responded, uh, detailing the sequence of events, um, including but not limited to highlighting uh, the presence of National Treasury and or the Minister of Finance in some of the meetings that were held in so far as the disposal of the 51% of SAA is concerned. There has been other correspondence of all sorts of things that I've received, but I thought I should just frame um, how it is that we are here. Um, then we have received a presentation from public enterprises um, and <clears throat> I'm advised, well, I was advised late last night um, by the committee secretariat um, that the Oh, and then I received correspondence from the Minister of uh, Finance um, explaining uh, certain aspects of this, saying that uh, there is not much that uh, National Treasury would actually be able to provide as information. So we are here to sort of uh, arrive at a same page uh, understanding in terms of where things are and then we will take it um, from there, right? Um, <clears throat> then late last night, um, I received notification from the committee secretariat. Um, to be honest, they did try to reach me, but I was held up uh, in NEC until very late last night. So when they did eventually locate me, they advised that the... Um, presentation by National Treasury um, had been withdrawn. So what we're going to do then, colleagues, 
Minister of Finance is here, the DG of Finance are here. So they will be in a position to field uh, questions uh, when the time comes and uh, uh, deal with matters that will go their way. But I think today, let us hear public enterprises um, and say that we have also been briefed by the Auditor General on the audit processes um, 17, 18, and uh, that now planning uh, for the outstanding audits for SAA uh, is, 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 is underway. So there is work being done. So I would really hope that that background, uh, which is really a summary of a summary, but for the sake of time management, I think it suffices with how we are here. So I think what we'll do then, colleagues, let's take then uh, the presentation by public uh, enterprises. Uh, Minister, if there's any um, introductory remarks that you'd want to make, and then your dep the department can present. Um, and then the Minister of Finance can come in uh, if there's anything that he would like to add or say, or any remarks that will come from him and or um, National Treasury, and then we'll fill questions. But I think in the main, let us give uh, now uh, public enterprises um, to, 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 to talk to us. Uh, and the National Treasury is here. All right. So let us then hand over to the Minister of Public Enterprises. Um, and then, uh, Minister of Finance, uh, you will have an opportunity as soon as um, they are done. Uh, Minister, Public Enterprises, over to you. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Chairperson. Uh, good morning to my colleague, Minister of Finance, uh, to the DG of uh, the Treasury, to the senior officials from the Public Enterprises Department, to members of the committee, and to the media and public that might be listening in. Um, <clears throat> there have been a number of interactions, as you point out, Chair, and between uh, the committee and uh, department and ministry of public enterprises on the question of SEA over a very long period of time. And uh, the issues at hand today have been uh, developing over a long time, as you know, and uh, in some ways these matters stand outside of the normal audit processes, because this is about uh, what has been announced a long time ago as the acquisition of a strategic equity partner for SAA in view of the fact that the state or government is no longer willing to part with money from the fiscus for the operational capital of SAA itself and um, amongst other reasons. So you are right uh, about the various interactions uh, that there have been between the committee and the treasury on the one hand and between the committee and ourselves. And in the presentation, we try to crystallize some of the uh, issues that the questions seem to raise. 
And uh, in addition to that, we've also responded to your letter uh, in the first instance, which uh, asked for further information. Uh, I'll give you the date in a moment. And then a second letter, uh, dated the 3rd of May, in which another set of questions were asked as well. So in some instances, Chair, let me say at the outset, because this is a commercial transaction in terms of the Companies Act and the prerogatives that government has as a 100% shareholder uh, and owner of this airline and the decisions made by government uh, to support in the first instance business rescue, in the second instance the exit from the business rescue, and in the third instance to clean up the historical uh, uh, issues and the money that has been assigned by parliament for that, and uh, then of course the SCP process, uh, parts of which we've briefed you on before as I indicated. So Ms. Molisane will put up the presentation and I'll take you through that quickly. The committee has had the presentation, I think, from late last week. So it should not be entirely new. And then we can take whatever questions arise. No, thank you very much, Minister. I think there's just one aspect I left out just for clarity, uh, that I had received a set of questions and I deemed it prudent to forward them in advance so that we could just manage time and presentation um, on them as opposed to them arising now. So that's just to on the last set that you, you refer to the letter prepared. All right, let's get the presentation and then we will be good to go. Chair? Uh, um, uh, yes, Honorable Hatteva. Yeah, no, thank you so much and apologies for interjecting. Um, just clarity, because I only received last night, um, let's try and check the exact time, Chair. Um, the nine-page document. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the question from uh, one of our members or uh, this set of question asked on behalf of the committee. I thought I would uh, hear from you in relation to this nine-page document. If you can just clarify um, uh, that, because I could not make sense of uh, the origin of these questions and answers thereof, and what role will they um, occupy in relation to us dealing with this matter as it relates to the disposal of, of, of the shares? Thank you, Chair. If you can just get clarity on this aspect. Yes, um, I received correspondence from a member um, when then I, which was a set of questions. And that's what I'm saying. And then I didn't prune that. Let's rather forward those questions in advance to public enterprises and the minister so that we don't have a situation now in the meeting where uh, it will be later. And some of them prove substantive. And we just think it best that uh, public enterprises be in a position to apply their minds and to be able to put it in, 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 in writing. So. That is where uh, those, 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 those questions came from. So, Chair, if I may come in, in the interest of transparency, would you like to indicate, firstly, the member that requested all this information, and secondly, your 
initial comments seem to be at slight variance with the first two lines of this letter of the 3rd of May. And I don't want to spend too much of time on this. But the letter says, subsequent to the previous request regarding information on the disposal of SAA shares, comma, the committee would like further details on the matter as follows. So this seems to be something that requires uh, a written response uh, as opposed to a guide to questions that might arise in the committee. But I just want to state that for the record uh, and can we then proceed once you have responded to the presentation. Okay, that's fine. Can I, can I request this? I will deal with all those matters at, at the end of the presentation. Can we take the presentation um, and then I will deal with um, all the issues that have been raised at the end of that. So the presentation. Yeah, no. Thanks, Chair. I, I agree. Let, let's focus on the presentation and then interact with the presentation. Then we'll deal with uh, this set of questions later and we'll express our views uh, once we're there. But for now, let's focus on the presentation so that we don't get distracted with other things. Thank you. Right. Thanks, I'll deal with all those um, issues um, then. Um, I'm now, I'm, uh, there's a request that we turn on cameras when we uh, are speaking, but I think there is an understanding that there's, the, there's at times a network challenge. Um, so for those who can, please do. If you can't, it's understandable that you, you will not be in a position to do so. Right. Um, can we get the presentation? Yeah, next slide, please. So this is the ground we want to cover very quickly, Chairperson. Uh, the chronology of events and the business rescue process is a reminder of the journey that we've been through on this particular issue. The purpose for securing an SEP, as I indicated in my introductory remarks, the roles and responsibilities of various players in the SEP process, the selection criteria, the negotiation of uh, the terms uh, of the sale with the SEP and where we stand in relation to the SEP process currently. And then lastly, uh, I've asked the chair of SEA to also join uh, in his uh, capacity uh, to give some responses on the annual financial statements and what progress the AG and SAA is making in that particular regard. On the next slide, and then the next few slides, Chair, would be, since the members have the slides, will be very familiar ground, so I'm not going to spend uh, too much of time on them, if you agree, and that is pre-business risk. No, no, hold on, please, go back. So the third slide uh, is the beginning of the chronology. Um, the pre-business rescue environment is being unsustainable, which all of us are familiar with, and uh, the dependence it had on state funding over many years. The airline, airline has not been making a profit since 2011, and uh, some insights have now been offered uh, into why and who caused all the problems as a result of the Chief Justice's report through the Zondo Commission. Uh, on SAA and the roles of various people uh, in the mismanagement of SAA and other things that happened in that period. With respect to the 2019 
2020 financial year performance, SAA failed to meet the revenue targets and its cost structure remained unsustainable. In July 2019, SAA submitted a new strategy, uh, but with little uh, positive outcomes coming out of that. Uh, but also that was accompanied, as I remember, by a demand for more money from the state. The situation was completely untenable. And uh, eventually what we had was a further recapitalization uh, in February 2019 uh, to the tune of 5 billion rands, and uh, further augmentation of this in August 2019. Um, and all of this is to address the issue of shortfalls in the working capital. Next slide, please. Then, uh, some of us might recall that uh, in late 2019, uh, these two unions that I indicated here uh, launched a strike uh, of staff at SAA and made massive demands, some of which were conceded to uh, by the SAA management at the time. And uh, there was a filing uh, of an ap uh, application to court by the Solidarity Union to place, place SAA in business rescue. Uh, in November 2019, uh, two things were happening. One was the government was uh, looking at the restructuring of the aviation assets of uh, the state, uh, recognizing some of the challenges that we've already outlined. And at the same time, uh, there were liquidity challenges within SAA itself. And this then culminated in the board meeting. So that's lower down in the slide. The airline continued to make significant losses. In November 2019, Cabinet decided, as I said, to restructure uh, the airlines and seek an uh, SEP uh, that would ease the burden on the state. And uh, a further amount of money, as indicated in the last point, of about 4 billion rounds was being requested until the end of the 2019 financial year. All of this in the next slide uh, then results in a number of uh, uh, events that followed, which uh, travel insurers started withdrawing uh, their benefit cover in the, in the event of insolvency. Uh, so these uh, private sector insurance companies uh, removed or withdrew from any uh, cover for SAA tickets that have been issued on the 29th of November. IATA requests uh, a government guarantee to cover billing services that they provide. Uh, 29th of November 2019, Flight Center uh, also withdraws from an offering uh, to sell SAA tickets and seats. Uh, the banks uh, in our interactions with them and the board's interactions with them refused to lend SAA uh, further money. And this is around the week of the 2nd or 3rd of December to about the 5th of December 2019, as I recall. And uh, that resulted at midnight on the 5th of December 2019, when the board decided to place SAA in business rescue, largely uh, as a result of demands from the banks. 
and uh, the banks further indicated that they would want a particular, as I'm informed, a business rescue practitioner who was duly appointed by the board. And on the 6th of December, the uh, company's office was uh, informed of, uh, of the business res rescue uh, taking effect. Um, so these events are all covered in this particular slide. And uh, subsequently, uh, the uh, government took cognizance of uh, the events that were unfolding and the business rescue eventuality uh, of these events. In the next slide. These were considered to be uh, key elements of any business rescue process. And as members and others know, business rescue uh, in terms of the Companies Act is a provision which enables uh, an entity to go through this process in order to be restructured and uh, the outcome must be a more viable and sustainable uh, entity. And that was the expectation uh, in, in this, at this particular time, that is a couple of months before the COVID pandemic impacted both on SAA and on aviation globally as well. So the priorities at the time was to accelerate the cost uh, cutting or containment of costs, restoration of confidence in SAA, because there were a number of forward bookings, ensuring uh, efficient cash management for better performance management um, and of course creditors will be consulted through the business rescue process as well and receive whatever benefit they can at the end of the process freeze uh, contracts such as the regulating agreement for pilots which you know uh, was uh, quite an extended uh, battle but eventually uh, there was a settlement arrived at with the pilots themselves and uh, the question of the assets or subsidiaries of SAA and their future uh, be considered as well. Next slide. And of course, uh, the, the key elements, uh, which I'll come back to in a moment, are at the bottom of this slide. But the, the options that faced uh, government and the board at the time it was whether it was possible to restructure SAA through a business rescue process, uh, whether the whole, whole of SAA should be reduced to what was called then the mango only option, uh, or whether there should be liquidation as many have argued. The criteria that were put forward uh, for this process and for the SCP process as well, uh, was that we should retain as many jobs as possible, but certainly not all of the jobs can be retained. And that workers at SAA, uh, if they were to find their way out through voluntary severance packages or Section 189 processes, uh, should be left with something in their pockets to start life again, as far as their careers are concerned. Secondly, uh, that we must now in the future minimize fiscal costs and the burden on the fiscus itself, which has become a mantra throughout this process, uh, that we should look for an appropriate strategic equity partner and uh, rebuild 
the relationship with stakeholders and inspire confidence in the public that SAA can fly again, uh, which is currently beginning to happen. The impact of COVID-19 is familiar to all of us, uh, and the impact started when the lockdown happened in March 2020, uh, both in South Africa, across the African continent, and globally as well. And that impact continues in many ways, although in some parts of the world there's some recovery, uh, but by no means uh, back to the pre-COVID period at this particular point in time. And... Uh, the same recovery process is what SA and other airlines domestically are going through as well. So, globally, airline capacity uh, was uh, reduced uh, was reduced as a result of reducing a reduction in demand. Travel bans, as you know, were instituted by various uh, governments in order to protect their populations uh, from transmission of COVID. On the one hand. Uh, but also the introduction of COVID from other, other parts of the world. Uh, and I think we're all familiar with how COVID started in South Africa and subsequently in other countries as well. Um, you also had companies resorting to the technology that we are currently using, uh, video uh, engagements, uh, rather than travel for employees. And even in this regard, business travel has not recovered to the pre-2019, uh, pre-COVID process or period. The introduction of regulations uh, such as vaccination certificates, etc., and tests uh, were also introduced across the world to curb the spread of COVID-19. And all of this impacted on travel and therefore impacted on the aviation industry. That, of course, then resulted in revenue generation being reduced, and in some instances, uh, no, no revenue at all. And in the case of SAA, uh, soon after March, the business rescue practitioners decided to place the, business rescue, uh, the airline into what they call care and maintenance. And there was one proud moment in 2020 when all of us will recall that citizens of South Africa were stranded in various parts of the world, and SAA uh, aircraft were utilized uh, and made available to government to repatriate uh, thousands of South Africans so that they could return home uh, because there were no international flights taking place at that particular point in time. So the SAA infrastructure served South Africa well at that particular point in time. Um, you've had the layoff of employees, uh, as one example, Qantas uh, laid off 20,000 employees in March 2020, but there are many airlines across the world that still have not moved back into full operation and therefore have not recalled all of their staff. Airlines have returned uh, aircraft uh, to either lessors or they've just left them on, on tarmacs in various parts of the world, although there's some recovery in that regard currently. And uh, overall, there has been a capacity reduction uh, in, in the South African uh, instance and uh, a headcount reduction as well, because uh, other airlines like ComAir also went into business rescue and implemented Section 189 
in respect of their employees during 2020 as well. In the next slide, <coughs> again, uh, we, we go into the COVID uh, theme and the impact that it has had uh, domestically uh, and on SAA and its uh, subsidiaries as well, uh, because all of them were unable to generate any revenue. Uh, SAA suspended, as I said, its domestic, regional, and international flights. Uh, Mango similarly uh, followed suit. Uh, SAA technical, obviously there were no flights coming or going. Uh, their work would uh, be reduced substantially. And uh, it also uh, had to uh, lower its uh, expectations in terms of revenue and work. Same applies to air chefs as well. Uh, again, because of the suspension of uh, aviation uh, services and uh, the uh, level five lockdown, as I indicated earlier on, had a severe impact on, on all of the aviation actors. The care and maintenance I've, I've made reference to already uh, and the repatriation of South African citizens from various uh, parts of the world. Next slide. The, um, this slide reflects, I'm not going to go through all of it, the uh, re-emergence of demand and uh, what is being done to restore confidence on the right-hand side, and on the left-hand side, what it takes to uh, get the whole aviation system uh, restarted. Uh, in terms of slots at airports, uh, making sure that operational licenses are in place, uh, that air, airworthiness certificates are in order, and that uh, the supply chains begin to operate in the normal kind of way. <clears throat> there were, of course, special measures taken uh, by all airlines across the world, and they now vary a uh, couple of years down the line in terms of uh, the sanitization wearing of masks and so on. And uh, that has also served airlines well in terms of giving confidence to passengers that if they mask properly and uh, sanitize properly, the chances of being infected on a flight are reduced. Other airlines have, of course, introduced what appears to be special technology uh, to filter out uh, problematic bugs of one kind or another. I haven't seen any reports about how successful that process is. Next slide. This is just to indicate that uh, a consultancy called CBRI was uh, brought in by the DPE uh, to help to uh, conceptualize what a restructured SAA would look like, what the roadmap to uh, full operations uh, would look like, what would financial sustainability look like. And these are the factors indicated in the slide, which uh, emerged out of that work and which the new SAA uh, will, has begun to take into account. And as the uh, current transaction uh, begins to get finalized, uh, some of these elements will find their way into the future business model, branding and practices within SAA itself. 
The business rescue plan was ultimately adopted by creditors on the 24th of July, 2020. And uh, as you know, SAA exited from business rescue on the 30th of April, 2021. Uh, but it's only in September, which this uh, slide reflects that so-called interim flying and the appointment of an interim management and an interim board uh, helped us to get the, the, the airline uh, beginning to uh, initiate some flights, first Joburg Cape Town, now Joburg uh, Durban domestically, uh, and then uh, as some of the other documents will show you, uh, about seven or eight destinations across the African continent. Next slide, please. So what was the purpose of securing an SAP for SAA? Uh, as uh, we have indicated uh, many times before this committee, government has taken a decision that SAA needs to be restructured and put on a new footing, but not liquidated. Government has indicated that it would not be able to fund future operations of SAA, and uh, that in that regard, any SEP that comes in will have to foot the bill as far as, the, as, far, as, far as future uh, operational capital is concerned and the necessary investments in, in, in SAA itself. Um, and pretty much since the middle of about 2020 and shortly thereafter, a number of expressions of interest uh, began to arrive at the doorstep of DPE. And uh, we worked on the basis that Cabinet had already given approval that uh, an agreement uh, with one or other SEP on behalf of government should be reached. And then we went into a process, I hope the next slide covers that. Next slide, please. Um, yeah, let me decide here that what we then did as DPE is to uh, obtain the services of a transaction advisor in the form of RMB uh, Bank. And uh, they were then responsible for evaluating those, I think, about 30 odd uh, expressions of interest signing non-disclosure non uh, non agreements where that was demanded of both sides and uh, narrowing down uh, to those that would be seriously interested in becoming a partner uh, and in this instance, a majority partner uh, for uh, with SAA. Now go back please so that we don't just skip that slide. So what were the evaluation criteria? These were some of them. The pandemic had a severe impact, both on the fiscus and the aviation industry. Um, the interactions with those that expressed interest uh, made it very clear from their side, as we've indicated to you before, that government must take responsibility for all historic costs. And at the same time, uh, government put forward uh, its position that the SCP needed to provide all future finances for the inverted commas new airline that emerges from the business rescue process. Um, the SCP would then have to have capacity to finance the operations of SAA with no backing from government. 
And uh, amongst the other conditions, uh, if you like, that came from interested parties is that they would want management control, they would want uh, majority shareholding, they would like no political interference, uh, whilst government can keep a minority shareholding uh, in SAA itself. Uh, and of course, the SEP would have to come in with aviation skills as well. The quotation below is to remind ourselves that uh, this transaction took place in the context of both the Constitution and the Companies Act, and that in respect of Section 217 of the Constitution, uh, that part, that section refers to and applies to where a situation where an organ of state contracts for goods and services and the disposal of SAA shares, as we point out in this uh, part of the slide, is a, a more emergent acquisition transaction. And uh, notwithstanding this distinction between procurement on the one hand and this type of transaction, uh, we submit that the department undertook a fair, equitable, transparent, and competitive process. And the overall objective, uh, as has been the case throughout of this, uh, this period, is to have the best possible outcome for the airline and the country. Next slide. So there have been questions about how <clears throat> the SEP was selected. So I've already indicated that a transaction advisor was uh, retained that uh, from the 29th of July, this transaction advisor was a recipient of all the information from these expressions of interest, as we call them, received either by the department or then subsequently received by themselves. Phase one of the process that they went through uh, as a transaction advisor is to assess each of the uh, expressions of interest, again, some of the selection criteria that we had set out earlier on. Um, and if those criteria were met, and if they were satisfied through an interview process, the phase two would be initiated, which is uh, engage more seriously with credible SEPs, because in this sort of uh, instance, as in many other, you will have lots of what we would call colloquially chances coming onto the scene, claiming to be able to raise money uh, or having access to money, but uh, with no uh, uh, substantial proof in that particular regard. And so you've got to separate the wheat from the chaff uh, through this particular process. So engage with the credible SEPs to develop a viable transaction proposal. Uh, that meets the, the requirements of government. And phase three uh, is the implementation uh, phase, that is the extent to which a viable transaction proposal could be agreed, um, then advise on the finalization and implementation thereof. So that's how that was conceptualized. As a result of the extended duration of the pandemic, so I think we all thought that sometime in 2020, uh, what in today's terms we will call uh, there will be one wave of the, of the pandemic. We're now in the fifth wave uh, in South Africa. Um, we didn't quite expect that the, the pandemic would extend beyond 2020. But as we sit in 2022, May, we can see that 
this uh, virus, although far less impactful in terms of mortality, uh, in terms of transmission, still has uh, its presence felt both here and elsewhere in the world as, as, as well. So as a result of this pandemic becoming extended in time terms and in impact terms, uh, both within the global situation and domestic situation, it impacted on the aviation sector uh, by 2021 far more seriously. And many of the international players that uh, expressed interest uh, kept their interest alive, but then pleaded that they would not be able to provide the funding that's necessary. And so as a result, uh, the those that we thought uh, could be taken through phases two and three, uh, or not we thought, but the transaction advisors thought, uh, began to uh, express less and less of an interest as a result of the capital requirements that this transaction actually had. Finally, uh, amongst the expressions of interest was one from Harris General Partners, which was willing to provide funding for the new airline. And they combined with uh, Global Aviation to create a consortium, which we now know as Takaso Consortium. And uh, they were the people that eventually went through as the successful SEP. Next slide. After some months of engagement uh, between DPE and its uh, legal advisors and uh, the consortium, these are some of the broad terms uh, that were agreed and which has the uh, was submitted to cabinet for approval and received approval as well. That government will uh, sell a share of its shareholding. Uh, or part of its shareholding to the SA, in the SAA group to the SEP um, and uh, ensure that the brand survives, uh, that the landing slots are not lost, particularly ones that we have overseas, uh, that we are able to retain route licenses, lounges, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, that the SEP will bring in both the aviation expertise and uh, the funding that is required, that's B, C, in terms of ownership, the initial ownership ratio would be 51% in the hands of the SEP and 49% uh, in government. And the due diligence exercise will be uh, conducted on both sides that will determine the final numbers. As far as the funding is concerned, <clears throat> as we said that uh, the SEP uh, should be in a position to um, bring in the funding uh, as far as operational capital is required. And there will be no ob obligation on government, as we've indicated as one of the criteria, to put any more money into the new airline. Um, and if government wants, for example, and this is the second part of that sentence, uh, the airline to fly a particular route in the knowledge that that route might be important for trade, business, or other reasons. Uh, and if that route is a loss-making route, then government will have to put in uh, whatever is required to make it 
at least a break-even route uh, in the event that something like that is demanded by government as one of the shareholders of the airline. We haven't got to that point. E, the operational capability. Um, the SEP, uh, through its uh, partners and so on, has a significant presence in the industry, the necessary operational experience that it has and can command clear, um, and that this should be brought in uh, by the SEP as part of the transaction. The shareholder rights, the substance of the transaction is a joint venture in technical terms between the SCP and the South African government on the 5149 basis. The board will then represent, we have representation by both parties uh, in proportion to their shareholding. Next slide. There were several uh, matters in terms of age that were decided to be designated matters uh, which will be set out in the final agreement where unanimous consent of both the shareholders uh, is required, for example, dividend policy or any other major changes. Um, the next point is dilution of rights. Government has no obligation to provide additional funding to SAA. Should capital be raised and the government decides not to participate, the government's equity interests will dilute accordingly. However, uh, the government will also have an option to increase the stake uh, through additional investment if in the future it decides to actually do that. That currently is not the position. On the, uh, but the key point here is the non-dilutive stake that notwithstanding any capital raising process uh, in which government might not participate, government will secure a non-dilutable golden share of 33% of the entity's voting rights to secure a long-term, its long-term national strategic interest in the entity. Furthermore, the, the golden share will extend uh, to certain areas of national interest with full veto rights. For example, in the event that uh, there's an insolvency or the majority shareholder wants to sell the airline, uh, government's approval must be uh, obtained in order for those things to, uh, to proceed. But the SAA name and brand will belong to government throughout this process. There are certain preemptive rights uh, that have been identified, uh, and that's the one I've referred to already. All historical liabilities, for example, VSPs and uh, uh, the settlement of creditors and previous uh, loans given by banks and so on will, will still remain government's responsibility and much of that has already been dealt with. And that uh, as far as the subsidiaries are concerned, the SCP will look into the possibility of including Mango and other subsidiaries within this transaction. And that will include SART and uh, airships as well. And that the, at the conclusion of the SCP process, uh, As a result of uh, the partial assign, uh, allocation that took place in respect of the 14 billion that was required for the business rescue plan to be implemented, uh, the final 3.5, which we are trying to reduce uh, by all sorts of means, 
uh, is an outstanding issue that we within government have to uh, uh, settle and resolve. And that's uh, close to an understanding already as well. The next slide. So on the 11th of June, 2021, um, having completed uh, various processes, cabinet uh, approved the Takatsu Consortium as the preferred uh, SEP, and that was announced accordingly. The department then commenced its due diligence uh, into this process. So I think what we must make clear is that this transaction has not yet been concluded. We've identified the partner that we want to conclude it with, but uh, there are various processes, including what is indicated in this slide, that uh, need to be concluded uh, or processed before we can say that the final signature uh, has been applied to uh, the transaction. And so the due diligence process was concluded earlier this year, and the sale and purchase agreement was signed by all parties on the 22nd of February 2022. And now there are a number of regulatory uh, approvals that are required uh, by various agencies, and those are the processes that are being attended to uh, by both the consortium and government uh, with their respective roles. Is there a next slide? Um, this really should be a matter that the uh, board should deal with. Um, but the, I think there is an understanding uh, in SCOPA and amongst ourselves that as a result of all the problems that we've had in SAA, uh, management accounts and uh, financial statements have not been uh, adequately prepared over a period of time. There is now a catch-up process that is in, in, in place. Um, and I was hoping that Professor Lamola would be joining us at some stage and he can give you an update on uh, where their interactions with the Auditor General, who is undertaking the audit, uh, is at this current point in time. And when can it be expected that the outstanding audits uh, will be concluded uh, by the AG and what resources both the SAA people and the AG will be making available in this process. I think that's the final slide, but let me just check. Jackie, is that a final slide? No, no Minister, we've got one on the, the next slide on the debt issues, the financial issues. Okay, do you want to go through that quickly? Thank, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Thank you very much, colleagues. Uh, just in terms of the debt, um, the debt is at uh, 8.4 billion, um, and this pertains to the cost of financing of debt of the 1.4. And um, it is we just have to underpin that the financial position remains weak with um, equity and the reserves being negative to the tune of about 13 billion. Um, just in terms of the group turnover, it was about um, 29 billion with operating costs at, at around uh, 31 billion. And this resulted in the operating loss before tax um, depreciation and amortization of about 2.6 billion. 
and the operating loss of these charges was about 4 billion and the finance cost was at uh, 1.4 and the net loss amounted to 5.4. So this is uh, for, the, for that particular year, Chair, uh, just for purpose of clarity, not for now. Yes, correct. Thanks, Minister. Um, just in terms of um, um, the financials, uh, we indicate there that um, the entity continues to miss some various uh, key performance targets as set by the shareholder as uh, detailed in their report. And the auditors are continuing to uh, look at various matters such as uh, fixed assets, um, irregular expenditure, fruitless and wasteful expenditure, and also going through the different um, uh, company accounts. Um, we need to indicate that uh, interventions are being implemented in terms of appointing um, a key uh, personnel to address critical skills um, in the entity. And this was adopted um, and the restructuring program has already commenced. Um, the interventions uh, are being implemented uh, at the time. Um, unfortunately, uh, there were weak governance structures uh, coupled with uh, state capture that we've also seen uh, subsequent to the uh, report that um, Zondo Commission actually indicated uh, those interventions were unsuccessful, were, were unsuccessful, um, and these, uh, um, as I indicated, they were laid bare in the Zondo Commission. Uh, next slide, please. Just in terms of just giving color in terms of the financial statements um, of um, the entity, uh, we just have to indicate that um, there is um, a loss. Um, for for the year that is actually uh being uh envisaged of about 5.4 um so that is what uh, the entity is actually looking at um and also i think um can you just probably just go to slide 25 uh, in terms of the net uh, cash um it's uh, about 2.5 billion and this was used to fund the operating activities and the largest cash drain uh, it has been on the net financing um of 1.4 billion which was incurred during the year and the net capital expenditure um for that period it was about 639 and the shareholder contribution to this uh, entity it has been 10 billion during the year and um, a lot of the net long-term borrowings have been repaid for, for the year. And they've also seen a decrease in the bank overdraft uh, being utilized uh, for the year, which was about 144 million. And there was uh, forex losses and cash equivalents during the year of about 442 million rands. Um, with that, uh, I think Minister did touch on that uh, in terms of uh, the status of the Auditor General. Minister, should I continue with this one or will you, can I continue? I've already indicated, thank you, Jackie, that okay. the uh, Auditor General is the Auditor for SAA, uh, that what my colleague, Ms. Molisani, has covered is the outcome of the 17-18 financial year audits. The AG will commence orders for all the uh, succeeding years. And currently, as I indicated earlier on, there's liaison between the SAA colleagues and the Auditor General's office in terms of how to approach and uh, conclude uh, each of the audits for those years. Uh, 
So finally, Chair, uh, the presentation or response to your letter of the 4th of, uh, 24th of March, your, uh, also our responses to your letter of the 3rd of May, uh, if we put all of that together, um, the simple proposition is that uh, there has been a very carefully constructed process as far as the acquisition of the SEP is concerned. Secondly, that this process is, is well on its way, although it's taking longer than we thought because of various legal processes. Thirdly, as the Minister of Finance would also indicate, uh, this is a an atypical uh, uh, transaction. It's certainly not uh, uh, falling within the ambit of Section 217 of the Constitution, but more broadly, it does fall within the ambit of the Constitution uh, and the Companies Act, uh, which are taken into account uh, in the processes that are designed uh, for this sort of uh, transaction. And then finally, uh, it's important to underline the fact that this is a commercial venture. And being a commercial venture uh, and operating within a competitive environment, SAA and this particular transaction has to be careful about what is available to competitors uh, and what is not. At the same time, we are very cognizant of the fact that there will be a maximum transparency and b as we reach different stages and the, finally the conclusion of this process all of the necessary information that is not of a competitive nature uh, will be made available to all interested parties including yourselves uh, in parliament as well and uh, it is with that kind of approach that uh, we've uh, had interactions within government itself uh, and hopefully uh, with yourselves as well. Thank you, Chairperson. Right. Um, thank you very much, um, Minister. Um, all right. Um, um, let's do this. National Treasury, if there's any comment on your side, um, and then I've already got a sequence of hands, and then I'll deal with the issues that have been raised. Um, Honorable Hattebe uh, and Honorable Mendev indicated. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with my screen, so I'm not, I'm not in a position to um, see hands um, here. I thought you asked uh, if we... Yes, um, I'm, I'm, uh, yes, Minister. If I'm going to hand over to you, I'm just getting those colleagues to be on standby. Um, okay, can you remove the slides, please? Um, Minister. Susa check so this one and a finalistic bond. All right, all right. So let's hand over to um, the Minister of Finance. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Chairperson, and 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 uh, greetings to members of the Portfolio Committee and colleagues. 
Minister of Public Enterprise. Um, I, I think I agree entirely with what my colleague has presented. Uh, there's nothing I can fault on the on the present. I'll try. What's happening? The camera is just showing. I don't think it's going. Is my camera showing me? Uh, Minister, you are doing just fine until the gentleman who is on my left of the screen arrives. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> Minister, the technological capability. No, Minister, you are fine. You can proceed. Thank you, Chair. I'm going to make four points. I'm going to make four points. The first thing is the a government's responsibility to dispose of all of assets. And I think that's what uh, is at issue here. I don't think anyone is contesting that. The second issue is whether SAA was a fiscal drain or not, and therefore there was just justifiable reasons to dispose of it. Since it's... Uh, when it was taken out of Transnet and became independent from 2007-2008, it has cost the state to date 49 billion dollars. So there's no doubt that it, it has been a, a fiscal drain. So that's the second point. The third point is that the operational responsibility of dealing with all of these issues is the Department of Public Enterprise. And when we, and, and, and the minister has outlined the entire process they've done, given the, the cabinet decision to dispose of the asset and, and given its fiscal drain, and then the, the DPE took the route it took in order in after cabinet approval. That's the, the last point, which relates to some of the questions that have been asked to us, directed to me, are compliance issues. What then happened, and I'm going to do, compliance would have meant that they have to apply to us for Section 54, which they did. After a, a proper evaluation by both the DP lawyers and our lawyers, we came to the conclusion that this is not a proper Section 54 application because Section 54 application relates to a state-owned enterprise, not to a government disposing of its shares. When a government disposes its shares, it falls outside the ambit of Section 54. We both agreed to that, and they had to proceed, therefore, without a Section 54 application because it's not applicable in the circumstances. And that's what we wanted to make that one. Otherwise, I agree with the outline presented by the, my colleague, the Minister of Public Enterprise. Thank you. Okay. Right. Thank you very much, uh, Minister, for, for, for that. Um, uh, just one request. The Minister referred to... Minister of Public Enterprise has referred to the lady presenting as Jackie, um, Jackie Molisan. If she can just give us a designation for the record, um, just a minute, Suti, what it is. She can even just send it on the side. And I'll request if colleagues to speak, please introduce yourself. 
um, so that we we, we know what is Kulumanoba. All right, um, colleagues, we are going to uh, field questions on the presentation. Um, the subsequent letter sent to, to the minister, it has uh, been a practice at times that uh, members across the spectrum on the issues that we deal with, not just on SAA, just generally, will send questions prior. Um, but it has been brought to my attention that we need to fix that model uh, of, 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 of doing that. And I'll request colleagues that we, 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 we deal with that uh, SOP when we have a committee meeting. Um, and I will explain the circumstances then. Um, and also, the, the responses were received yesterday, or rather were, were dispatched to members yesterday. So members would not have had time to study the very detailed responses that came through. Um, so right, thank you very much, uh, DDG. Um, so we will we, let's let's focus on the presentation, um, and then I will send through a written submission to yourselves, uh, colleagues. All right. The second point is um, I'm, I don't know what's happening with my screen. I'm going to try and fix it now as questions are being fixed, because I know that some members may not be in the committee group where we generally uh, show hands. So I will request that system will assist if I miss anyone. So we're going to, we've got a sequence, Honorable Hattebe, Honorable Ment, Honorable Lise, and Honorable Somio, um, in that order, please. Right, uh, Honorable Hattebe, you will be the first of the bet. Thank you so much, Chair. Um, welcome, colleagues. Um, take also this opportunity to welcome the two ministers present um, today. We welcome you and welcome both presentation made thus far. Um, Chair, um, you will recall that on the 18th of March 2022, uh, National Treasury did respond in writing to the question posed to them. Um, and in that response, they also alluded to the fact that section 54, subsection two of the PFMA, it's not applicable in this regard in terms of the process undertaken to dispose of the shares. However, what they further indicated or alluded to did not assist us in terms of understanding the intention and the intent thereof, where it says it must be noted that National Treasury was only consulted after the public enterprise had concluded the memorandum and National Treasury raised concern in relation to some of the terms and conditions. Um, when one this without a context or understanding and also taking into a subsequent response from um, a public enterprise where they in a way seem to uh, correctly so or respectfully uh, reject that notion that has created an unintended consequences which 
in the public domain seeks to suggest that there might be areas of um, um, I'm trying to look for a better word. There's a wedge between the two entities. And I'd like to give this opportunity, Chair, to the both entities to clarify so that we do not cut them out of context. One, we now know that uh, Section 54, Subsection 2, it's not applicable in this regard. Therefore, um, the consultation um, and the discomfort arising from the letter as sent by National Treasury, are they seeking to suggest to us that they were unhappy or are there any issues that were not dealt with in terms of the legislation? Please clarify that aspect to us. Um, whether or not the issues of concern that you raise are these normal issues that you would normally have in a normal engagement between uh, your daily uh, execution of your mandate or are these substantive issues that ought to be brought to our attention for us to be able to engage with them um, as such? I'm trying to afford you an opportunity so that we don't quote you out of context or times difficult at times to engage with the letter, hence this opportunity before us. We need to get a sense and understanding. We know that now that this process has not yet been concluded and there are some issues that cannot be thoroughly ventilated or engaged uh, by us as an oversight body until such time that those issues are thoroughly processed and concluded will then be um, at the helm or in the hands of you in terms of responding to such questions. So that will be my first uh, question, Chair, to afford these two entities to clarify the contradictions that are in the public domain and the tension that is there, whether it's real or perceived, or it's a self-inflicted uh, uh, tension. Uh, can you please clarify to us so that we don't draw wrong conclusion on, on these matters? Thank you, Chair. Right, thank you, Honorable Hadebe. Um, I think let's just take all the questions um, and, and then we'll do follow-ups. So, Honorable Mente. Chair, I, I, I would like to plead with you that the questions be answered before we go to the next one because we've got a lot of questions. I want to plead with you, Chair. I concur, Chair. <laughs> All right. That's fine. What was trying to the eyes for us to be able to productively engage so that we, we, we are all moving on the same page. Um, currently, the understanding and the interpretation based on those two letters seems to suggest otherwise. It's very crit critical to clear the air before we proceed. Thank you. All right. No, no, no. That, that's fine. Teamwork works. Collegial wisdom. Let's get responses to Honorable Hadebe's questions. Not sure who you want the response from, but let me say the following, Chair, um, that there is no tension that Minister, that I was already going to call Minister, Mr. Hadebe, Minister Hadebe. 
So maybe that's uh, the future yes, being Please profess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the interactions uh, between the Treasury, where I've been before, so I can understand some of that, and with any department, including uh, DPE in this particular instance, uh, when a proposition is put forward, as the Minister of Finance indicated, around Section 54, there will be, as he indicated, lawyers involved, uh, opinions will vary until there's clarity, and uh, ultimately, uh, the Minister of Finance indicated to you, we came to a consensus view that Section 54.2 did not apply in this particular instance. Uh, and because the PFMA itself does not uh, provide for these sorts of transactions, it's the framework that is provided by the Companies Act uh, in a particular part, I was just going to call it out now, um, that has application. Similarly, uh, Treasury colleagues uh, are not necessarily, as the Minister indicated, uh, involved in every step of what Minister Gorangwana called the operational detail. So in the process of interacting between ourselves and the Treasury, uh, all sorts of questions will be asked and raised and responses will be provided so that there's adequate uh, understanding on both sides uh, of the facts uh, and ultimately alignment. And that is what both the Minister of Finance and I are indicating to you, that two government entities are fully aligned on this proposition. And uh, the Minister of Finance has also indicated that these are cabinet decisions that are being implemented and uh, all the necessary work uh, is being pursued in uh, accordance with that particular mandate. So. There will be healthy exchanges, there will be healthy debates, uh, because no two lawyers are going to agree in the first instance on a difficult uh, or complex issue. But once there's sufficient room for clarity, uh, you can then get the necessary alignment, which we currently have. Thank you. Um, uh, Honorable Hatebe. Yes, now can the, the Minister of uh, Finance uh, proceed, yeah. Chair? Right. Let, let me just say, I mean, the, I agree, and again, I agree with the Minister of, of Public Enterprise that uh, it's in the nature of National Treasury to have this boxing arrangement with it doesn't mean any uh, in fighting. Uh, we had a presentation last week where health uh, fighting with us over NHI. You will have uh, a, a social development fighting with us on social security. Also, it doesn't mean a conflictual arrangement. It does mean it's an internal process of uh, uh, from our side. I mean fighting to preserve our space in terms of expenditure and, 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 and money. So 
so those questions are not are a matter of detail, and the, if they, to the extent that there are disagreement, I'm, I'm a matter of detail over judging uh, the, uh, uh, the the eye. So, uh, in a sense, I agree with the Minister of, of, of Public Enterprise that it's our nature to ask questions and people ask, ask answer. It doesn't mean any contradiction. Thank you. Thanks, Chair, and I'm happy that uh, the, the, this better has now been clarified. Um, one then assume, Chair, that there are cordial relations and whatever issues um, as read in the, the, the letters are issues that pertain to the normal uh, workings of the two uh, departments in relation to this transaction. Now, Chair, in an event where section 54 subsection 2 um, of the PFMA it's not applicable can I just get an understanding and clarity in terms of which legislative authority then becomes relevant in this regard if it's a company's act which section of the company's act and um, any similar transaction uh, previously uh, that they can uh, refer us to so that we have an understanding in relation to uh, this particular transaction, Chair. Uh, uh, yeah, let me pause there for now, Chair, so, so, so that we, we, we get a response to Chair before they, they, they respond. So from the responses of the two ministers, it does therefore appears as if everything was done according and all uh, legislative requirement were met. The response from National Treasury does not seek to suggest that there were issues that were implemented that did not comply with legislation. Is, is my assessment and conclusion correct in, in this regard? And that the three questions posed to National Treasury are not necessarily at the purview or uh, the prerogative of National Treasury, all questions in relation to the disposal of these uh, shares are to be posed and directed to uh, Department of Public Enterprise and the decision thereof by the cabinet will be informed uh, or is based on certain legislative authority, which is the question that I pose. So if I can just get in a response on that, the legislative authority that uh, will be applicable seeing that section 54 subsection 2 is not applicable in this regard. Thank you, Chen. So let's, let's get uh, responses to that. Uh, Chairperson, we have Mr. Makobe, who's uh, acting DVG responsible for governance, I think online. If he is, can he respond to that, please? Thank you very much, Minister, and thank you to the Honourable Chairs and the Honourable Members. The legislative uh, provisions that apply in this instance is Section 112, Subsection 2 of the Companies Act Number 71 of 2008, which provides that a company may not dispose of all or the greater parts of its assets or undertaking unless such disposal has been approved by a special resolution of its shareholders. So it is uh, the shareholder 
who has the right to dispose of the shares uh, in terms of the provisions of the Companies Act, and also the shareholder will have to take a resolution to that effect, which is what the department has followed in this disposal process. Thank you, Minister. And is National Treasury satisfied, even though the sole responsibility is that of the Department of Public Enterprise, that all legislative requirements were met? Their response does not seek to suggest that because they don't know and they had concerns, things were not done in terms of the applicable legislative prescript. Can I just get that confirmation? Um, I'm not sure whether it's the Department of Public Enterprise or Treasury that will respond to uh, would respond to this. One is trying to ascertain whether or not the legislative prescript were followed to the latter. We have crossed we have crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's in relation to this transaction. Thank you. Honorable Minister. All right. Uh, I, I won't come in as the questions come, so we just manage time. Yes. Um, yeah, correct, Chair. Um, Minister. That's a question for the Minister of Finance, am I right? Yes. Uh, but Bearing in mind uh, that the, as per the presentation and the responses, you are the responsible uh, department in this relation. So I wanted to initially were crucifying the wrong users they were meant to be directed to you. So I'm giving an opportunity to uh, ascertain whether or not uh, you have met all the applicable legislation in this regard. So initially we posed the question to the National Treasury. And now we are redirecting <laughs> response from your side. So you sound like the aircraft that goes north and then moves to the south. But uh, yes, as Mr. Makovia pointed out, uh, the necessary provisions uh, have been complied with. In the first instance, recognizing that Section 54.2 does not apply. Thank you so much. Perhaps this will be my last question so that I don't take too much time of, of other members. Um, and now that uh, South African Airways won't be 100% state-owned entities, that will obviously affect and will have certain changes in relation to the role of um, government, Auditor General, and us as oversight bodies. Have you developed a model that will uh, ensure that there's continuous uh, uh, work in relation to oversight between the DPE and National Treasury. Are you in that process of developing the model or the model will be developed once all the necessary uh, uh, regulatory actions have been concluded? 
to um, in, in relation to the outstanding audit? Have you started the process uh, of ensuring that uh, you conclude all the outstanding audits as it relates to SAA? I'm raising this question precisely because uh, we're still uh, legally obliged to follow up on all outstanding issues uh, pertaining to the current status of SAA when it was still 100% owned uh, by government. When there are issues of material irregularities, uh, mismanagement and misappropriation of taxpayers' money in relation to the, the audit, our oversight and uh, consequence management uh, and holding accountable those that might have acted incorrectly, we're still obliged to complete and fulfill that mandate. Uh, when will you start if you have not started with the process? If there are any delays, what are the delays? Uh, do you have any projected timeframes where you will be able to say, uh, from this date, uh, this final audit, uh, if not, when I going to kickstart with the process? I've got a lot of questions like uh, other honorable members have indicated, but just to afford other members an opportunity, this will be my last question from you, um, honorable minister. Thank you so much. It's fine. Under what, what we'll do is we will we will come back um, if there are outstanding matters so that we can give an even spread uh, to, to members. I think we are still well within time. All right. Let's get a response to that. And then honorable Mandy will come in and then honorable Liz and honorable Somi in that order. So, Chair, on, on the point about uh, the second question, uh, Professor Lamola, I think, is uh, part of this meeting. And on behalf of the board and management, he will indicate what the latest uh, arrangements are between SAA and uh, the Auditor General in respect of the audits that Mr. Hadebe refers to. On the first question, there's, if you like, an existing model uh, and there will be eventually uh, a new model, I think, as we go forward. Because the state already has, whether it is through the IDC or uh, even uh, government departments, uh, will be a minority shareholder, for example, in uh, Rheinmetall uh, munitions where Rheinmetall is a majority shareholder, government is a minority shareholder, and the DPE represents government in that regard. Um, and they don't appear uh, as a business entity uh, on the parliamentary radar uh, at this particular point in time. But as we move towards uh, concluding some of the work that is happening in the presidential SOE council, I think a new framework will begin to emerge, uh, which would then set out a basis upon which government's investments in uh, various uh, commercial entities is supervised, looked after uh, in a particular way uh, that we uh, are working on currently uh, with the PSEC itself. So, uh, to repeat, uh, there's a current uh, reality, if you like, but then secondly, there will be an emerging uh, formula that will give, we believe, uh, 
greater clarity on the one hand, uh, but more commercial attention to government's interests in various shareholdings that it might have in commercial entities as well. So Chair, with your consent, can I ask Professor Lamola to respond to uh, the Auditor General questions? Right, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Honourable Chairperson uh, and Honourable Minister and the Minister of Finance and colleagues. My apologies, I see that my video is uh, playing up. Uh, but uh, Chairperson, the, the fact of the matter on the audits is that it is one of the primary focus that uh, the board of SAA, uh, the new board of SAA, has been uh, seized with since uh, the beginning of uh, last year. Uh, as you are aware, we managed to conclude the 2017-18 uh, the audits and we held a successful annual general meeting in February. The current state is actually that the, the audits have been prepared. The former uh, management and uh, governance structures of the SAA have prepared audits for 2018 and 19 as well as for, for 19 and 20. But they were not audited uh, because of two issues. The, the first issue was the issue of the, 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 the pandemic uh, disruption. The second one, the issue of SAA going into business rescue and the, and the technical issue of the fact that uh, uh, the, the, there was the issue of the termination of the going consent. Uh, determination of, uh, the, of the company. Uh, the current state is that negotiations are underway and have been underway with the Office of the Auditor General. The Auditor General uh, audited, was of the 2017-18 audits was the first time that the Auditor General audited SAA uh, uh, accounts beyond that. Before that, uh, it was uh, audited by PwC. So, so this is like a new phase and a new introduction of intensive engagement with the, with the Auditor General, which also involve negotiations around the fees uh, that the AG uh, will be charging, which as uh, you will know, uh, Chairperson, that is one of the terminations that are done at an annual general meeting uh, with the shareholder. So all those negotiations have been concluded and the AG's team is itself busy putting together a capable uh, uh, team because they also had uh, human power resources on undertaking the audits. But it will be the audit for the four years, uh, going through the, the, what, what, what we have all found uh, from the, the, if one would like to say, the past SAA, and doing any other uh, post-audit uh, uh, events that need to be uh, recorded in the, in, in, in the audits as they will be, in the annual financial statements, as they will be uh, published. To the direct question of when that is happening, the target is that by the end of this month, uh, all the contractual uh, issues that have to be undertaken between management and the Auditor General's office in terms of the fee structures will be finalized and the actual activity will commence. Thank you, sir. Good. Thank you very much. Right. Honorable Mente. As long as 
and good morning to everyone. Uh, Chair, my first question is, given that the, the, at, the, at the very, very uh, first stage where the minister was presenting, he says the situation was untenable. And therefore, it meant that government had no capacity to start the business within the SAA. But throughout the presentation, as I read, and as he also presented, the partner has not contributed anything so far. If, they, if that's not the case, then how much have they contributed? Because the government on its own right now has turned that situation around. It's no longer an untenable situation. And I did not hear the stake of the partner which he has contributed financially to the operations of the SAA currently. That's number one. And then would like to understand when he says the concept that they have developed was that they required a partner which will finance without a backing. Yet the partner we speak about there is no mention of its contribution, yet the government has begged it and started the operations. Therefore, that statement confuses me a lot. Can it be clarified? And also, what does it mean when it says they require a partner to finance the operations without a backing? Because that uh, ultimately means the state will get out of the transaction and then the company will be privately owned. That's how I am understanding the statement. Now, with what the office of the DPE is explaining in terms of the transaction itself and how it was conducted. And it was conducted through a resolution, a special resolution of the shareholder. Would like to understand the resolution itself. What in what, what is in the resolution? Because one, there is 51%, which is a lot that formed part of the resolution and this 51% will be owned by the partner and government will be at 49%. Now within the resolution, where does government fit in? What is government going to benefit? What are the people going to benefit? How is SAA going to benefit South Africans when 51% is on the other side? This goes hand in hand with what uh, Honorable Becky was asking in terms of what will then be the government's oversight role into this entity when it's 51% majority led and owned 
by a private partner. Those remember, Chair, were still sitting with the loss of the GEPF money through the investment of the PIC. Yet we did not have a monitoring role in that process, but we lost public funds because we did not have adequate monitoring of that particular investment and its own financial businesses. Now we are hitting there again, where we are going to sit back somewhere and watch us pumping money into a business that we are not oversighting. Uh, the next one is, what systems are we going to use to measure our public funding contribution and accountability? This also goes hand in hand with what Honorable Becky was saying. And then the minister says there is some, um, I don't know whether a commission or but there is some um, system that they are developing at the presidency. How far is that system? I guess that would be answering, how do we then measure our public funding contribution and who must be accountable for that? Would like to get then the details of what he says, there is something in the pipeline that is looming at from the presidency with regards to the model, therefore, we're going to be utilizing in order to monitor the situation and hold people accountable. Again, there's another confusing statement within the presentation or the responses, because this was from the question we asked before as to the minister must explain why is national treasury so not pleased by this particular transaction. So the ownership of 5149, he says it will also be determined by final numbers. Uh, just that because I am on the gadget that can't give me many options. Uh, I don't know which page is that, but it's in your presentation. What numbers are you talking about? That will therefore determine the final ownership. And bear in mind that you already said the contract was signed on the 22nd of February, yet there is a mention of the final ownership of 5149 will be determined by the final numbers. What numbers are we talking about? And how will that then change if the contract is already signed from the 22nd? Same applies to where it says the government can go and then acquire more stake in the shareholding in the future. Is that also in the contract? Can we change that? Can we then buy our stake back again? Is it possible? That's another, another thing because it's a very gray area for me. And we cannot leave it hanging, knowing that the contract is already signed, but there is other things that bring some kind of hope we can change the situation. It looks to me that the resolution itself is not thought to the end, or the model they are using 
penalized. If that's the case, we must be explained. What are those elements that are not finalized, which then will inform the final signatures of the contract? Uh, the next question, Chair. The partner you chose, you say the cabinet said and everyone, and then you chose the strategic partner. What is strategic about this partner? Can we know? And how this partner was chosen? What's strategic about them? What is it that is special they are bringing to our government to change the situation at the SAA and ensure that SAA benefits our people? Next question, Chair. Now, the partner willingly or whatever way they used, they applied or what, whichever way was used. I'm not understanding how this partner would come and buy a share in the SAA with only 2016-17 financials available. For the past four years, we didn't have financials in the SAA. So how did they conduct their due diligence on our business? Who said our business is worth what? for those people to buy it. Who said our, our SAA business is failing where and is worth how much right now? Because even when we were dealing with the business rescue, there were many gray areas where assets were concerned. And I am not sure who then come to a conclusion that SAA is worth so much and therefore you can get it at 51%. Already was sitting with SAA that was sold before by Coleman Andrews. Now we are selling it again ourselves. But we do not have a concrete evidence in terms of its own standing financially. Who says how much SAA is? would like to know that answer and how much is worth with its all assets. Uh, another question, Chair, I think I'm left with three now. You are saying a partner should have capacity to bring, to bring stability to aviation industry. And I take it, uh, this question will go with the one I've, answer, I've asked you uh, earlier on what do they bring. But at the very same time, if you are giving them 51% and they must bring stability to aviation, it's going to be privately owned. So how does government get in and how do we benefit when they are owning majority stake and they have a say and they can direct the business as and when they wish. Would like to understand that. So with the due diligence you did with uh, the partner chosen, I'm sure it has given you comfort that those people are qualified to buy our business and there are no problems with them. And if that's the case, can we get the full profile of Dakar? 
who owns Takazo? Who are the subsidiaries? Who are the board members? Who are the shareholders? Because you can't sell to someone you do not know. We would like to know who is this person who's so keen to come and buy from us. And also the resolution itself with the net worth of SAE. The last one, Chairperson, I have for now will depend on the answers. Uh, I am not going, Chairperson, to accept the fact that when Honorable Becky is asking how much have we used so far on the SAA and were given an, a, a, an, an umbrella answer, something that's ever since we removed it from Transnet, it has cost us 45 billion. That's not honest. We are just giving that big number to exacerbate the situation and actually exaggerate it to make it look like SA in, in its own South Africa does not have people that can run SAA. And therefore with 45 billion, it had failed dismally. We are not being told how many years of that 45 billion, because the 2016-17 financials that we presented here, which we used regularly when we were engaging the business ratio practitioners, the SAA had a, a loss of less than 2 billion. Look at the revenue and uh, income and look at the operations. There is a very small gap. So how do you then make it look like they had been failing throughout and there is no turning point? It has to be broken down and make sense to us. Where is the 45 billion in the years? Where did we lose it in the years? Where must we fix in the years? And not be told that we must do what Coleman Andrews do did here, selling everything. And then at the end of the day, the partner gets into problems. We must go and buy our stake back with how much? So things must be clear, both Minister of Finance and Minister of, uh, of Public Enterprise. We can't be just given a 45 billion and a statement that says, no, we have invested so much, it's untenable, and yet it doesn't get broken down. Because if 2016, 2017, the shortfall was just about 2 billion, it means that there are people who are doing the right things. There are people who are doing the wrong things. How, why are we not dealing with that situation? Lastly, Chair, that's the same situation that we're going to find ourselves in with the ESCOM, because if you fail to monitor your developmental model, that seeks to bring in transformation within these sectors. We're going to pump in money and not ask the people on the concept of their developmental model and operate and operations. We're pumping money to ESCOM, Kusila, and everyone. No one is developing a mind on anything. At the end of the day, we're going to be told there is a strategic partner that can take over and develop the mind. The same thing now that is happening. There's a strategic partner that is coming to help us build SAA. Yet there is no development model that's clear and strategic enough, which must tell us 
how are we dealing with the case of SAA, with the money we are bringing in? Who's going to monitor it? Where is it going? Thank you, Chair. Right. Um, let's get responses to that. Um, then we'll go to Honorable Liz. Uh, thank you, Chair. Some of the answers that Honorable Mente is looking for has been before the committee several times before, but let me see how I can help. And uh, the Minister of Finance can come in uh, where he deems appropriate. Um, I've said on several occasions during the presentation and in other areas as well that this transaction has not been concluded. Therefore, Honorable Mente, the partner is not yet a partner. If the partner is not yet a partner and does not have the 51% in its hands at the moment, then clearly it will not contribute any money until the transaction itself has been concluded. So what SAA is running on at the moment is the 2 billion rands that was set aside as part of the 10.5 billion rands for what was then called interim flying. And the revenue that they are generating, plus the 2 billion uh, in various forms, has been utilized for operational purposes. And that is why we would like to conclude this process sooner rather than later, so that the responsibility for funding the operations for SAA uh, becomes the responsibility of the majority shareholder. Government, as the minority shareholder, will then have whatever rights uh, will be accorded to a minority shareholder. Plus, as I indicated in the slides, we have the provision for a golden share, which entitles uh, government to certain preemptive rights, such as naming, such as the future of the brand, such as certain uh, types of transactions that will need government approval and to defend what we call the national interest from time to time in the context of SAA itself. But we have to accept the reality that government is 49 ultimately and when the transaction is concluded and the SEP will have 51% and the uh, normal rights will follow uh, that particular equation. The financing uh, from the SEP side will take two forms. Firstly, an input of 3 billion rands when they become, when this transaction is concluded, uh, which will be put into SAA to meet the operational capital requirements. And secondly, uh, through the due diligence processes, a valuation of current assets of SAA, in the, largely in the form of properties uh, in Johannesburg and elsewhere, but also landing slots, for example, at overseas uh, airports, which totals about 3 billion rands as well, and an arrangement of what are called preferential shares it has been entered into and will be entered into and finalized when the transaction is finalized. And what that means is that the government and the people uh, through the government will benefit once the airline becomes profitable 
by being the first uh, or preferred shareholder to receive dividends from the profits that are made by SAA. And it is in that form that the assets will be paid for and for perpetuity until uh, this equation is changed by any future government, uh, this arrangement uh, will result, if you like, in an annuity that will be paid over uh, in the form of dividends uh, to government itself and therefore the fiscus. Um, so that's what the state will get out of this. And of course, the state will have the benefit of uh, not putting money into a bottomless pit, which SAA was. So several of your questions referred to uh, the financial status of SAA in the past. And uh, what is very clear is that SAA has not made, been making a profit uh, since 2011. Coleman Andrews and that particular saga have nothing to do with the current environment, save that what that saga did do is to undermine SAA's asset base by selling all of the aircraft uh, and leasing aircraft rather than buying aircraft at that particular point in time, as I understand it. So in this instance, we're not talking about aircrafts, we're talking about the company as a, as a whole. And uh, what we are looking at is how to secure the future of SAA, how to secure the position of currently employed staff, how to expand the airline beyond where it is operating at the moment, and to move away from a scenario where the choice was basically liquidate SAA, which some people had preferred at that time and did all sorts of things to argue that case, versus restructure, reposition, and revitalize SAA with uh, the resources coming from a, a, a strategic equity partner. And what is a strategic uh, is you make a choice about whether you want a partner in a particular instance or you don't. And in this instance, government has chosen uh, to bring in a, a partner uh, with both aviation skills, uh, which will be largely South African based and uh, train a whole new generation of uh, aviation experts and use those that have already been trained uh, in order to benefit them. So for example, if you look at the mix of, and this refers to your point about the developmental model, if you look at the uh, pilots right now, it's a non-racial mix where black pilots uh, have a lot more presence than they had in the past and they no longer dominated uh, by an old guard, and there are all sorts of possibilities that are now open to them. And as we expand the routes, those possibilities increase. So the critical issue that uh, and choice that face government is liquidate or restructure, and restructure through the provisions of the Companies Act in respect of business rescue, which I think many members of the committee are familiar with now. So it is government that decided, when you make reference to the word resolution, that this is the direction that we will go in. It's DPE's job to then execute that and work with other government departments where it is necessary and appropriate, whether it's Department of Transport, whether it's Department of Finance, uh, in order to execute this, this mandate. We also, if you remember, had demoted a training and layoff scheme 
and uh, some money was made available to that. So there we have to uh, talk with other departments as well to see if funds can be made available. And that process needs to be revitalized as well uh, with assistance from finances, uh, from CETAs and so on. Uh, and hopefully we can get that going again soon. What is government going to benefit? Uh, I've already indicated that. And uh, I'm not sure about the loss of PIC money. Perhaps the Minister of Finance can respond to that, uh, that you referred to. Yeah, and government's oversight role, I indicated that clearly in response to uh, Mr. Hareve's questions, that when you are a minority shareholder, uh, that's exactly the reality. So SAA will not be registered if this transaction is successful in Schedule 2 of the PFMA as a commercial government entity. Um, but a new, uh, let's say, a successor regime needs to put in place to ensure that government's uh, stake in not just SAA, but in various other commercial enterprises uh, is looked after in one form or another and given a lot more commercial attention than an ordinary department might be able to give it. So that's the work that is uh, currently going on in the Presidential SOE Council, and that's the body that I referred to. And uh, when that body is ready and the President is ready, and he has indicated in the State of the Nation Address at the beginning of this year that uh, we are moving towards what is called a holding company model, uh, where sound entities that are owned by the state are put into a holding company and run on a professional basis uh, without day-to-day -day political interference or management of such processes. And uh, that's the end goal uh, that, that we are driving towards uh, through this particular process. But as those developments take place, uh, Parliament, not necessarily your committee, will be uh, kept informed of progress in that particular regard. Why is uh, NT not pleased with this transaction? Well, I think the Minister of Finance and I have both addressed that question. Uh, how did we determine the final numbers? It is determined through uh, the due diligence exercise that we perform on Takatsu and Takatsu performed on SAA. And uh, that was the basis upon which the numbers have initially been agreed. If anything changes, then the final agreements will change as well. And we haven't reached that point yet because I've indicated to you that various regulatory processes have to be concluded still. And once they are concluded, uh, the necessary structure within Parliament will be kept informed as well. Can government buy the stake back? Theoretically, it can, uh, if it decides to do so. It can go to the majority shareholder and say, uh, we want to buy back 10% or 5% or whatever the case might be, which makes government the majority shareholder. But that depends on the future. It depends on any decision that government may, may make in that particular regard. And it depends on whether the majority shareholder is willing to part uh, and still part with uh, a greater percentage and whether they still will remain as part of the partnership or joint venture. So theoretically, yes, that's possible. Um, how was the SCP chosen? I think the slides reflect the process. 
and I've uh, explained it already, so if you don't mind, I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, there was uh, a due process followed with the assistance of a transaction advisor, as we indicated in the, in the slides. Um, you then make reference against to Coleman Andrews, but as I said, that's a different era and a different time. Uh, but what we are involved in now is you establishing uh, the validity of financials and the asset base through due diligence processes that have been conducted. Who owns Takatsu and so on? There are two partners in Takatsu, uh, which I think the slides indicate. Uh, Harith is one and uh, Global Aviation is the other. Um, what the internal arrangements are is something that is up to them. And uh, if you require more information, we'll have to ask them for that information. You use the word honest. Uh, the chair, I think that's the kind of terminology we should avoid. We are in the process here of helping to the extent we can to enable parliamentarians to understand these processes. And there's no question of honesty or dishonesty involved in this process. So I must make that particular statement. Uh, reference is then made to the 49 billion that the Minister of Finance uh, made reference to. Uh, he can clarify that for you and the additional information that you require. Uh, but as I in passing mentioned, but I want to come back to it now, that there's no denying that SAA was part of the state capture process. It was part of the stealing. It was part of the corruption. It was part of the capture uh, that we are talking about. And that is adequately reflected in Chief Justice Zondo's reports arising from the commission that he actually shares. And I imagine that uh, SCOPA itself, and this also refers to some points that Mr. Adebe made earlier on, uh, will have to determine how uh, they will take account of the findings uh, of the commission in relation to what went on in many state-owned entities. And if you do want to hold anybody to account, how you will go about doing that. As far as the developmental model is concerned, um, within SAA, the discussions with the SEP have been quite extensive in this regard in terms of developing uh, black talent, uh, maintaining the non-racial character of the staff, but in ensuring that black people have opportunities throughout the system uh, in accordance with the demographic profile of South Africa. Uh, that uh, training opportunities need to be opened up, and many of those were blocked, particularly amongst the pilots, but amongst others as well. And uh, we are now at the beginnings of the process of ensuring uh, that uh, that be the case. In relation to the kind of role that the airline will play into the future, and what we would then consider to be development, there are all sorts of opportunities that are open to the airline arising from the uh, African Continental Free Trade Agreement, for example, uh, the kind of interconnectivity that we want to see within the African continent itself, uh, and the kind of discussions that uh, are taking place between SAA and Kenya Airways, which are at the very early stages, and will ultimately take place between the new SAA uh, and Kenya Airways as well. 
in terms of a future relationship uh, that could meet the requirements of the continent in various ways. Of course, in recent times, a big impediment uh, for airlines across the world, and certainly on the African continent, is uh, the rise in oil prices as a result of uh, the uh, war that we have in the European context and uh, the impact that that has on the cost of jet fuel. And that's something that we've got to watch uh, carefully uh, to ensure that uh, aviation is able to cope uh, and SAA itself with the uh, volatility in prices that we see at this point in time. Uh, over the last few days, it has been brought to the public's attention that elsewhere on the African continent, uh, the issue of the cost of jet fuel has impacted on certain airlines in West Africa. Thank you, Chef. Thanks, Minister. Let's go to the Minister of Finance. This is uh, the Director General of National Treasury, Dondomo Khajan. I'm with the Minister here, but because the question was of a technical nature, I'm therefore requested to respond. Uh, the question from our mentor was, over the years, we gave 49.7 billion, that's the exact number, 49.71 billion to SAA from 2007 to date. Yes, that's correct. We have a breakdown of exactly how much was spent and for what. In 2007, uh, we, 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 we paid 744 million for labor uh, uh, labor restructuring plan that was submitted at the time. In 2009, we paid 1.6 billion to SAA for working capital requirements and this details, uh, you know, you know, details of, of what exactly was that for. In 2017, June, we repaid Standard Chartered Bank of 2.2 billion. This was guaranteed debt. In 2017, the same year, we paid Citibank 3 billion. Again, this was guaranteed debt. Repayment of lenders and settlement of outstanding creditors and working capital in December 2017, 4.8 billion was paid. And we paid domestic lenders in February 2019, $5 billion. And again, this was all guaranteed debt. Working capital requirements to keep the airline afloat in August of 2019, $2 billion. Repayment of domestic lenders in September 2019, $3.5 billion. Now, this $22.8 billion, that's the total, was total recapitalization from the state. This was prior the business rescue. Now, from uh, July 2020 onwards, we paid 3.6 as part of the repayment of post-commencement funding as per the business rescue process. We again paid a post-commencement uh, funding of about 2.1 billion in August of the same year. And then there was a series of payments of legacy debt that was all guaranteed, August 2020, 4.6. July 2021, 4.3. July 22, 2022, we will be paying 1.8 billion as part of um, you know, the commitment that we made at the time of the business rescue. And then last was in August of 2020, the famous 10.5 billion, which was part of the 
implementation of the business risk. You know, when you add all of that up from, um, you know, 2007 to date, the state has, would have, including the 1.8 that you'll pay in July 2022, the state would have paid 49.71 billion rand. So, Chair, that's basically the breakdown. It is available um, and it's not, uh, you know, secret, it's public information because over the years, from the fourth administration through the fifth and the current administration, we came to SCOPA and many other parliamentary committees uh, and the details behind these numbers are available and are there and are on record. Thank you, Chair. Right. <clears throat> um, right. Um, can we go to Honorable Liz? Sorry, Chair, can I just have some few clarifications? All right, briefly. Okay. Honorable Liz, stand by. Okay, thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, one is the, the Presidential SOE Council, which is developing a model of the oversight on the state-owned entities and where government is concerned. Where uh, the minister said there is a plan and everything and the SONA statements. Are we talking about something that's ever going to take place anytime soon? Or are we talking about a plan of the this coming uh, two years that's left to be finalized by the seventh administration of parliament? Because as we speak, we are going to be party to giving money to people who are not going to monitor. We need to understand how do we then play a role in terms of ensuring that there is no um, fruitless and wasteful expenditure of giving money away on things that we cannot uh, monitor ourselves. That's one. Um, when you say uh, the partner you're looking for is is going to bring uh, it's 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 strategic because it specializes on the aviation and it's going to stabilize aviations. In terms of aviation, it's very broad. We need to understand what are the aspects of this aviation is it going to bring to us? Is it going to deal with the side of industrialization? Is it just going to deal with the side of manpower and personnel? that they are going to hire at SAA because this has to benefit our people. So a strategic partner should be strategic in a manner in which South Africa is going to benefit. So please clarify, Minister, what are the aspects of this uh, strategic uh, uh, aviations that this particular partner has got? Uh, Now, on the, on, on, the, on the money, thank you very much, uh, Director General uh, Treasury. On the money, it's not necessarily the breakdown that I'm looking for. I'm trying to say, we pumped that money in. We failed to monitor it. We failed to put the systems in place. What Coleman Andrews did, indeed, the minister says it's, it was another era, it was another thing. But what we are doing now is massive. He sold aircraft. We are selling SAA. 
the entire company. He went for a fraction. We are going for the company. We are replacing corruption with selling off the asset because we can't put systems in place. And therefore, that's why I'm saying when you are monitoring that 49 billion, you can't monitor it as uh, uh, the entire amount. You ought to monitor it at which point did it did it go to an area where or a level where the monitoring was lacking and you could not turn it around. So that's the area that should be of focus. We cannot be told about all the years from 2007 up to now. So it means that SA at some point, it was operational properly doing what it has to do. But its mandate at some point fell short. And at that point, what are the systems and assessment tools did we put in place as government? And even now, we, are, we have already pumped in money. SAA is in operation. The partner is not there. What are the monitoring and assessment tools that we have to ensure that there isn't going to be corruption again? Because then future minister is going to come back and say, it was another error, it was another mistake to sell 51% to a partner that today we can't buy our assets from because they are going to be expensive at that point. And then the last one, Chairperson, the question that I asked has not been answered. Who determined the price of SAA? Because we don't have financials of SAA. Who said SAA is worth so much? Thank you, Chair. Let's get responses to that. No, with great respect, Chair, I have answered the last question. And I said that there was a due diligence process on both sides, which resulted in the numbers being what they are. And I'm not sure how much of what is being requested falls within the mandate of SCOPA and how much of it falls elsewhere within the parliamentary system. But nonetheless, let's go through uh, the questions of Honorable Mente. PSEC, or the, uh, the Presidential SOE Council, uh, government will decide soon when legislation that reflects what the president announced in the SONA will be put before uh, parliament, and it should be within this year, if not within the next few months, uh, because there's fairly advanced work that has been done in that particular regard. And I don't know what the fruitless expenditure reference is there. This is a serious proposition about ensuring that in a post-state capture environment, how do we, as the commission itself, is uh, partially recommending in reports uh, up to now, uh, but uh, has indicated that it will make further recommendations in its last report uh, about how SOE should be managed because they were the major uh, site of financial extraction and stealing that happened, whether it's in ESCOM, in Transnet, in SAA, or in other entities uh, that are government controlled. And I suppose the question that Minister, uh, honest, why do I keep referring to ministers? Uh, that Honorable Mente uh, is referring to about oversight and about assessment tools and so on uh, are certainly valid. Uh, but when a capture environment is created, all of those things don't quite work uh, or are masked in one form or another until there's the kind of interrogation uh, post facto, uh, as the Commission has done, uh, which then reflects what really went on during that particular period. Uh, 
Honorable Mente also makes reference to industrialization uh, and so on. That will be an outcome if we have a successful, not just SAA, but aviation industry. And uh, SAA, as it becomes uh, more stable, as it begins to operate more routes, particularly globally over time, uh, will once again reactivate uh, industries, certainly in the East Rand, uh, close to the airport area. And you know that some uh, municipalities there have been talking about an aerotropolis and so on, uh, and for industrial sectors to be developed even further to the ones that are, are currently existing. But much of that was corrupted uh, during the capture period as well, and uh, has to be reactivated uh, and uh, revitalized as, as we go forward. So there's a relationship between the growth of the aviation industry and the growth of SAA itself and what the outcomes will be both in terms of industrialization, uh, but also in terms of training uh, in larger numbers, the kind of skills that would be required to run successful airlines within uh, South Africa by South Africans. On the question of what system and assessment tools, oversight is precisely that, it's oversight. You don't get involved in the nitty-gritty of a business. Um, and there must be the right caliber of expertise within government, uh, which uh, from our last few years of experience, knows sufficient uh, amount about the operations of a particular enterprise, whether it is in the logistics field, the energy field, or the aviation field, or the rail sector, or whatever sector we are talking about, uh, because it is only then that uh, the state is able to understand what is going on adequately and uh, not rely on superficial uh, processes in order to assess what happens within uh, this kind of environment. So I think some of the system and capability uh, is in place in various parts of government, but my own view is that a lot more of that capability needs to be developed as we go forward. Thank you, Chair. Okay, um, right. thank you very much. <clears throat> um, I just want the issue that... Point of order, Chair. All right, just one second, Honorable Mente, I'll take your order now. Um, on the issue that the Minister has raised in so far as uh, how much of this falls within our ambit, um, I think that as a committee, we must, in one way or the other, uh, bring our interaction with the uh, SAA to a logical conclusion, uh, given that our interaction is not new. It started out with the question around the submission of financials, um, which had not happened um, from SAA. And of course, there are still three audits that are outstanding. Um, and there have been developments which have happened at SAA, um, and I think it would not be prudent, uh, it would be irresponsible of the committee to not want to be abreast with issues at SAA so that we can conclude them correctly. Um, and then if they uh, proceed to other spaces in Parliament, that is fine, that is uh, perfectly well within the parliamentary process, the PC being one of them. So <clears throat> I think that uh, it is important that as a committee, we don't leave matters hanging. Um, I think the history with the committee 
and the SAA is long and <clears throat> well documented in terms of where we've been. I mean, on the eve of the uh, arrival of the business rescue practitioners or the declaration, we were due to go to SAA. So there've been a long a series of processes of interaction. And this is a major development um, at um, from SAA. So I think let, let, let's afford that opportunity to tie things down nicely so that uh, we, if we are to dispense with it, we do so on the uh, firm understanding of what is happening to give due regard to processes that may follow. The second point is around um, uh, um, state capture and the reports. Yes, of course, the cancer and pandemic um, of state capture uh, is a very uh, difficult uh, reality for the entire country, given the magnitude of the damage which it uh, did to the country uh, and the economy and all sorts of uh, things that should not have happened, happened. The parliamentary process we are, is going to unfold and we will be given our own uh, role in that insofar as uh, dealing with it is concerned. So uh, we that firmly is on the radar um, and uh, the president is due to submit a, a implementation plan as well. We'll look at it and parliament will make a determination um, of, 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 of that as well. So I think... I just thought I should respond to those two issues um, so that there's clarity in so far as the uh, where the committee is coming is coming from. We're certainly not wanting to uh, leave it hanging, right? Honorable Mende, you had a point of order, and then Honorable Lise will come in. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Your first um, statement kind of... Uh, dealt with my point of order, but to add to it is that at this point, we are saving our country, all of us. Therefore, we cannot have ministers that will come and be condescending and patronize us. We are called Standing Committee on Public Accounts. And therefore, anything that is funded by the public purse, we policing it, irrespective of where it is. So it must not bring any gray area. We know what we're doing. Thank you, Chair. Chair, if I may respond to that, please. Right. Um, you can, Minister. I hope that this doesn't uh, now. Yeah, all right, Minister. <clears throat> well, it all depends on what happens during interactions, Chair. So firstly, let me thank you for the clarity that you've provided. Uh, on uh, the scope, if you like, of the interactions around SAA. That's very useful. And equally uh, is useful for those listening in uh, to understand where Parliament fits in in relation to the state capture phenomenon. And uh, your explanation is very useful for the public to understand Parliament's role uh, and government's role in this particular regard. And to Honorable Mente, let me say categorically that nothing in what I've done or said is about condescension, so I take exception to that. But uh, let's get on with the substance of the business, and uh, we'll uh, 
ensure that parliamentary accountability processes uh, will be taken care of in the manner in which we respond. Thank you. All right. Um, all right. Honorable Liz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good morning to everyone. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, yeah, it's it's a great deal has been said about the the history of where we've got to now, um, um, and about the business rescue process and and the possible success of that process. It's really sad to to go back a little bit and just. Um, Recall that from 2014, we called for SAA to be put into business rescue and later, much later, when the situation seemed untenable for liquidation. Had, had business rescue been implemented um, much earlier, say in 2014, much of this 70 or 49 billion rand perhaps could not, may not have been needed. When we were suggesting business rescue, we were ridiculed by government and ministers of government who threw out outrageous figures that such as 60 billion rand is what, um, what business rescue would cost. But be that as it may, it eventually happened. And, uh, and we're now in, in a situation with trying to, to deal with a business rescue process, which in my opinion has uh, has not worked as well as it should do, and I think perhaps even um, Minister Gordon would agree that they could have been done better in places. Um, but one one of the issues with business rescue, and that's why I raise the little bit of history about where the DA was with regard to business rescue, is that. The, the Minister Gordon, in his um, letter to us on the 4th of May, indicated that the banks refused to provide any further funding unless SAA was placed under business rescue. And this morning he's, he's, um, he's confirmed that and indeed gone one step further uh, in saying that the banks uh, insisted on a certain person being appointed as the business rescue practitioner. So. In the end, it wasn't the DA, but it was the banks who persuaded, and I'll use that term loosely, um, the government to, um, to authorize SAA board to, to put SAA into business rescue. And it, the banks had government guarantees. They stood to lose no money. But under business rescue, there was a compromise of some 32 billion rand um, for other creditors um, who in many respects, I, I believe took unreasonable risk by giving credit to SAA knowing that it was bankrupt and insolvent, but nevertheless, the banks who had nothing to lose were the ones who, who according to Mr. Bourdain, were the ones that prompted the final decision to, to, to go into business rescue. Ms. Gordon, who were those banks, please? Mr. 
share your guidance, please. Are we taking one question at a time, or is Mr. Lee well, going to? I this? think he's adopting the um, honourable Hatebe style of one question at a time. So I think you can respond to that. He's not okay. doing the full set like honourable member. Who were the banks? Uh, and I think there were about four or five banks that were involved. This goes some way back. And secondly, the final interactions were not with uh, the department. They were between the board uh, and the financial institutions. But they would include, I would imagine, the first four major banks, if not the fifth one as well. Um, Mr. Chairman, I would wonder if the Minister could consult with while we carry on um, with perhaps the DG and get the names of the banks for us, please. I'm not sure you you know the first uh, the the four biggest banks in South Africa, Mr. Lees, Standard Bank, uh, First Rand, um, Absa. Am I missing one? There's three. Net Bank. Net Bank. Net Bank. Yeah. So those are the banks. Thanks, thanks very much, Minister. Um, Minister, you 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 make it um, make a, a very um, strong statement that this whole Takatsu Takatsu um, transaction and so on has been transparent. I'm afraid, in my opinion, it's been anything but transparent, um, and 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 indeed. Uh, even now, the, um, there are many aspects where we are not getting uh, replies to our questions. But nevertheless, that is, um, that's my opinion, and, and you'll, um, I'm sure, have a different opinion. But um, um, I, I suspect that my opinion is fairly widely held. May I now address um, Mr. Dongondwan, Minister of Finance? Uh, can I respond to what you've said, Mr. Lee? Sure, sure, sure. It wasn't a question, but uh, that's my opinion, Minister. No, sure, but I also have an opinion, so I think sure. it's an adequate opportunity to respond to you, because yours not it shouldn't be just the last word, if I may say so, with great respect. But I was responding uh, to your okay, opinion. Okay, Minister. all right, all right. All no, right. No, may I respond, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Um, I think that um, in as much as there is going to be the <clears throat> latitude for members to put one question at a time, um, as Honorable Latiyev did. Let us also, however, not engage in a dialogue which may now be outside the ambits of questions, please, and <clears throat> maintain just you know a sense of uh, interaction which does not muddy the waters. So, Minister, you can respond to that, uh, the statement that he has made. Um, but let's respond to that, the, the issues, yeah, no, leave other issues um, uh, aside. Right, Minister, over to you. No, no, I'm not raising any other issue. All I'm asking for is the courtesy of a reply. Uh, and the reply is, as far as we are concerned, within the reality, as I mentioned in the presentation, that this is a commercial transaction, and within a commercial context, some information will be very transparent and open right now. And when the process is concluded, other information will be made available that is necessary to understand the transaction. We cannot in any way compromise the competitive 
edge or position of SAA in any way through this or any other process. And as long as we have an understanding that those are the parameters within which we are working, I think there's no need for any innuendo of any kind, uh, Chairperson, with great respect. Thank you. Right. The right, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, there was no innuendo. Um, it's my opinion, and it remains my opinion, sir. But thank you to the minister for responding. Um, may, may I, Mr. Chairman, um, uh, ask the minister? Uh, I'll get to you, Minister Finance. Um, on on Minister Public Work uh, uh, Enterprises, and perhaps it should be actually the board chair who answers. But anyway, let's see who answers. What are the current, over the last six months since, um, and whilst SA has been um, operating again, what have been the average monthly losses um, up to the end of April? Or end of March, for that matter, if that helps. You see, Chairperson, this is the kind of question that I think begins to create difficulties for us. So can I uh, please get an understanding uh, with yourselves that information that is of a competitive nature is information that might not be available now. Just one second. DM. DM. Hello, DM. My apologies, sir. My apologies, sir. Okay, sure, that's fine. Um, all right. Uh, the okay, uh, Minister, you can you you can proceed. Yes, I was saying uh, that. Can we avoid questions that are going to impinge on the parameters that I uh, outlined earlier on uh, about losses, profits, et cetera, et cetera? Because we'll get to that when the financial statements are made available. And all of that will be transparently available. But at this stage, we're still in the middle of the process of recovery. And there are many who wouldn't like SAA to work. Uh, and there are many who want and are enjoying SAA at the moment as well. Uh, I've flown several times and I can see very satisfied customers. And we want that to actually continue. And uh, extremely excited staff that the airline is back in the air. So uh, if I can beg your indulgence there, please. Thank you. Um, I think, uh, colleagues, this is... A very difficult one because this is a <clears throat> is a live transaction for lack of a better term, uh, a work in progress. Um, I think that uh, questions will be put, and Minister, you will um, you you will respond to it. And if it's uh, in the opinion of the department and the entity that it is a market sensitive matter, then. I'd rather get that from you because I'm not sure of what questions members will put. So you can put that uh, to, 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 to us. Um, but I think that um, it must be noted, colleagues, this is a live transaction. And so it's, it, it's not clear cut as, as it were. 
Right, Honorable Lees, over to you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, yeah, be that as it may, I'm afraid I, I, I am in disagreement with the Minister in terms of this commercial uh, sensitivity aspect, um, where we in effect are the shareholders and all South Africans are the shareholders. Um, and and the so it is of a concern to me um, that the minister has declined to to answer my question, but um, we'll have to deal with that in another forum if indeed we we wish to to deal with that. Um, Mr. Chairman, may I now um, address the Minister of Finance? Minister of Finance. Um, this is a committee of parliament, and, and you're very familiar with parliament. I, I recall your presence in parliament uh, prior to 2010, when you and I had one or two little um, uh, fainting boxing matches in the NCOP, but th it is parliament. And you there's, there's no way that you can present, table a report to parliament, and then and then withdraw it. It doesn't work that way, and I'm sure you 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 understand that. Um, but my question to you is: Why did you withdraw that report? I did not withdraw a report. What happened was an internal document which were discussing the question posed to me by Parliament. You will see in that document, at the back of it, are the answers to the question. It was an internal document, a briefing to me. It was a briefing to me by the department, not a report. As a background to answering the three questions that were, that were posed. So it was not a report to Parliament. All I did was to withdraw that document because it was not a report to Parliament. It was an internal discussion document sent to me, and there's nothing sensitive in any way to that document. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I've got a copy in my hands, and and it's titled National Treasury. Precisely. And yeah, precisely. Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I, can I, can I just, okay, I'm, I'm just explaining it. That's precisely the point I'm trying to make about that thing. It says presentation, uh, right? It was an internal document. You will see at the back, then it begins to answer the question. So, thank you, Minister, and thank you, Mr. Chairman. It um, clearly says National Treasury presentation to the Standing Committee on Public Accounts. Um, not to the Minister of Finance. And in fact, it's presented by the Minister of Finance. But be that as it may, it's it's now in the public domain and we, we have it. So um, it, it, it worries me in a sense, Mr. Chairman, that um, the impression I'm getting is that, that um, uh, the National Treasury DG is now being... being um, being thrown under the bus even by his own minister in a sense. Um, but the the presentation, I think, makes uh, it very clear that the National Treasury was not involved in the substantive 
matter of the agreement with Takatsu until after that agreement had been signed. And the Minister of Public Enterprises is, has stated um, a couple of times this morning that the um, Takatsu is no, not yet the, the, the um, owner of 51%, and, and that's uh, entirely, I think, um, I mean, I'm not questioning that, but the the road to that 51% is well, well, the vehicle on that road to, is, is well on its way because as the minister himself has said, there's some regulatory issues that need to be resolved. And I'm sure they'll be resolved um, in due course. It might take a little while, but effectively the agreement has been signed. And so in order to change the terms of the agreement, it would require agreement of both parties to that agreement or all the parties to that agreement. And so the terms and conditions, um, there, there's a, the, the, there are a long list here of, of issues that National Treasury had with, with or have with the existing agreement. Um, and one of the ones that is of, of great concern and, and, and was one of the, the, the questions asked of, of the um, Department of Public Enterprises is the question of the guarantees, the government guarantees. Um, submitted to to SAA over a period of time. Now, on the one hand, um, the DPE presentation um, states that the guarantees have been cleared, and um, but the National Treasury um, document indicates that the Takatsu Agreement, signed agreement, requires that the guarantees remain in place and and and. Um, and they currently amount to 16.4 billion. Can I um, ask the Minister of, of Public Enterprises then to, to just say to us, um, who is right here? Chairperson, can I ask a point of clarity? Can I come on the 16 billion? Right, just uh, before you do, Honourable Minister, just one second. I think there's a point of order, right, Honourable Hatebe? No, it's not a point of order, oh, okay. it's, it's a point of clarity. We've all received the um, presentation and it was recalled. As such, we respected um, the author and the sender of the report. When it was recalled, as such, we did not... Uh, seek to engage of probe further on issues as raised because it was clarified that it's an internal document. Um, I, I'm not sure whether it will be fair, having taken that posture and accepted that the document was recalled and it's an internal document, will then uh, give opportunity to other members to engage. If uh, the intention is for the document to be discussed, I think all of us have to be presented with an equal opportunity to engage on such. And I would like you to, to rule on the matter in an event where a document was recalled. Uh, would you still deem it fit or necessary for us to engage on such a document? I don't want us to set the wrong precedent. I might say something wrong uh, and I'm asked uh, to withdraw and apologize. And once I've done that, I don't think it would be fair for me to be continuously uh, reminded of what I said, even though I have truly apologized. Uh, 
I'm just making an, an example uh, in relation to what we are dealing with now. Thanks, Chair. Okay. Um, yes. Um, my, that's why I made the announcement at the start of the meeting. Uh, because my understanding uh, was that the document which was submitted was recalled and therefore in that event the minister has now explained the reasons from their point of view uh, on that. Um, so the issue is, is ends there in the sense that National Treasury is saying that they will provide other explanations to the questions and not necessarily now attach them to the presentation. And that is why I had given the Minister of Finance an opportunity after the, the public enterprises um, <clears throat> what, uh, presentation to make comment uh, on the issue. And I think he is going to have an opportunity to respond now to the matters that have been raised. But as it stands, um, the we can't bind National Treasury to a document that they've recalled. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's got no locus standi in that sense um, because they've recalled it. Um, so there's no. National Treasury presentation before us um, as the, as things stand right now. Um, yeah, so that's that's that on that. And the minister was um, going to respond to that. I think he wanted an opportunity to, to uh, comment on it. So let's allow him to do that. And the Minister of Public Enterprises want, was was coming in as well. So let's start with um, National Treasury on that and then go to public enterprise. But as things stand now, that document has uh, been recalled. Um, the committee, when it considers its report, will make a determination about what it makes of that. But as things stand now, there is no National Treasury report before us. Thank you. Uh, Minister of Finance. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Chairperson. Let's try and draw a distinction between a number of things. The Director General of National Treasury sent a letter to, to this Parliament. What was the substance of that letter? The substance of, of that letter was did National Treasury participate in the uh, transaction, in the selection of transaction advisors and so on, the Director General said no. And the presentation by the Minister of Public Enterprise demonstrates that. Because as I indicated, that is an operational responsibility of the Department of Public Enterprise. So I'm not trying that my DJ is sitting next to me. <laughs> helping me in answering these questions. So I'm not throwing him under the bus. That letter stands. And that, that information is also 
demonstrated by the minute by the minute of presentation by the minute of public enterprise that that is purely a, a process ran by the Department of Public Enterprise. And correctly so, because it's our operational responsibility. Uh, that's the first point I want to put aside and say no, we're not throwing them on, uh, under the bus. The second set of issues is, is the guarantees. Isn't this, it's our nation, as national treasure, as I've, as, as I've said, is to minimize as much as possible, possible our exposure. How do we minimize that? As part of the uh, comments to those negotiations is to make sure that we limit our exposures. Among other things, is that the guarantees uh, which exist, including the 16 billion, and that 16 billion is part of the 49.7 I've referred to, which is our expenditure. So it's not something new. What we're trying to do as part of the negotiation of that agreement, boxing each other, as I've referred to, is make sure that moving forward in terms of whatever agreement is settled, we, as we reduce these guarantees, there are no further exposures moving forward. That's precisely what we're trying to, 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 to explain. Thank you, Chairperson. Right. Thank you very much. Uh... Uh, Minister, right, Minister of Public Enterprises. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, just to follow on on, on my colleague. Uh, sorry, let me put the camera on. Um, we we all have a responsibility in government to reduce the uh, amounts and number of guarantees that are required, because as you know, these constitute contingent liabilities uh, uh, of the state. And the original guarantee uh, was one of about 19 billion. Uh, and as we stand today, and as the amounts get paid off to the financial institutions, um, the guarantee reduces uh, from 19 billion. And currently, it might be just under 3 billion rounds. And as the DG of Treasury pointed out, there are still a few more payments to be made. Uh, and once those payments are concluded, uh, those guarantees uh, then disappear over time. The second point is that in any uh, agreement of this sort, there might be uh, what are called conditions precedent. And that means that there might be outstanding issues that require clarity uh, in relation to whether government, for example, has fulfilled all of its obligations in terms of the historical costs uh, related to this particular transaction. And as those assurances are provided or clarity is obtained, those conditions precedent fall away and the necessity for any guarantee falls away as well. So this is work in progress. And as you correctly put it, Chair, this is a live transaction. And every day uh, there's greater clarity and there are steps that are taken in order to move towards the final goal of, or if you like, consuming the transaction itself. So ultimately, all of us uh, must assist uh, the fiscus in ensuring that uh, the demands on the fiscus in relation to guarantees 
and the demands on the fiscus in relation to contingent liabilities is kept to a minimum. And that's what ultimately this transaction will result in as well. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, thank, thank you, Ministers. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I think we all agree that guarantees need to be run down and indeed out for a private member's bill that we'll be discussing next week and hopefully, Minister, finance your support my bill um, regarding government guarantees. But the question to, to Minister of Public Enterprises is, is quite a simple one, really. Um, is it a condition of sale to Takatsu? that the government remaining government guarantees remain in place in full force in effect is that a condition of the um, of the agreement now i've just explained chair that uh, and thank you mr lees for the question uh, that as we clear away uh, any questions that remain in relation to removing um, any obstacles as far as historical costs are concerned, the necessity for guarantees fall away. Uh, and in particular, the outstanding amounts to the financial institutions would be amongst the biggest concerns. The Many of the other matters have been uh, dealt with, for example, paying off the pilots, uh, some 980 million rounds was ultimately uh, the amount involved, so that's out of the way. Uh, and there are still uh, a few uh, areas, for example, um, there are, what, are, what are they called? Uh, a set of creditors that, that need to be paid off in August 2022 and August 2023, uh, where the amounts are just about 750 or 760 million rounds. And that's the outstanding 3.5 billion. Uh, or less than that, that would be required to pay off those uh, creditors. And then the second obligation that all airlines have in terms of the IATA rules is uh, the unflown ticket liability. So uh, some of that has been already sorted out and some of that will be sorted out in due course. So as we clear up, there's, there's no 16 billion guarantee. Let me put it more simply. Uh, but as you correctly put it, this is a dynamic process that unfolds and uh, both on the government side and on the SCP side, we get greater clarity, but we also take care of some of these concerns as, as they arise uh, and deal with them. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you, Minister. I, I, you haven't quite answered my question, but may I, may I just then um, presume to, to come to this conclusion that um, listening to your answer, it seems to me that the um, agreement um, can, of sale with Takatsu does not include a condition that the existing remaining guarantees remain in full force. Um, uh, so, so that's that's what what I'm hearing from you is that over a period of time, as the obligations um, covered by those guarantees are done away with, which is the responsibility of government, um, because we we're not passing any liabilities on to Takatsu, that um, in the end Takatsu will take over SAA without any government guarantees. Um, I, I'm, 
yeah, that, and so thank you very much for that clarity. Um, yeah, so the, the, the question then is, you mentioned earlier, Minister Gordon, um, the, the preferential shares um, and, and, and the, the, the reason that, that you, um, you're suggesting that that's going to be put in place. So I assume that the, the existing, the agreement that's been signed as on the 22nd of February, I think it was, includes um, the, the creation of these preferential shares before um, the company is transferred, well, the 51% shares are transferred. Is that, is that correct? Well, uh, you use the word creation before. Uh, these are matters that are being handled by teams of lawyers at the moment. Uh, what I was indicating is the direction uh, that has been taken in relation to uh, the creation of uh, preferential shares as a mechanism by which government benefits in the long term over and over a period of time once the airline becomes profitable. Okay. So in terms of when they are created, that's the, that's the uh, art of the matter. That's a, a legal process that I can't comment on at the moment. But, but I can get clarity from the lawyers and provide it to you in some other form. Okay, so so but I mean it, it must be part of the, the agreement that was signed that yeah. those shares yeah. would be thank thank you. So um Mr. Gordon, I I I, um, I understand the motivation in, in the sense that it's um somehow going to give um give government and taxpayer access to profits, um, preferential access to profits that may or may not um, um, materialize out of SA in the future. And uh, I really do hope that there are profits. Um, you know, I, it's quite easy in, when you're the majority shareholder to manage the company in a way that profits are minimized. But um, yeah, time will tell. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we're all hoping, like you, that there will be a profit if the deal goes through. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's a a concern. Is is that um, the, that that preference share isn't actually going to result in anything material in the long run or the short run? Um, and so, in the end, um, what happens is that. Takatsu get 51% of the shares of a completely liability-free um, SAA, um, but with some significant assets, as you yourself have listed, um, and 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 there's no real um, financial benefit to to the taxpayer and the government. Of course, there's the benefit that hopefully we won't have to bail out SAA in the future. I I am um, I am a bit concerned that the um, having not having access to the terms and conditions of the agreement that indeed the taxpayer will not be spared from from future uh, funding commitments. But, but I have to take your word for it, Minister. So yeah, we we we'll, we'll really need to see the 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 conditions. Um, um, contained in that agreement, and I really do think that um, we need to see that agreement now rather than later, 
Um, but yeah, be that as it may. Um, Minister, you also, I think, made reference yeah, to... The chair. Yeah. Okay, um, with you, carry on, Mr. Minister. Chairperson. Minister, yes, you can proceed. Now, I think if, if Mr. Lees can be much more helpful if he uh, poses clear questions so that we know what we are responding to. If there's all sorts of commentary, which he's entitled to, I suppose, uh, then I'm forced to intervene like this uh, when he wants to move on to the next point. So it'll be useful if we can crystallize one issue at a time, clarify it, and then move on. Uh, so that's the one request to you, Chair. But to respond, if I may then respond to Mr. Lees and some of the comments he's made. Sure. So, firstly, uh, uh, Mr. Lees, uh, I'm glad that you can find agreement with government uh, on the preferential share of, uh, approach because of uh, the benefits that it will have over time. Secondly, uh, true, any, any business management can reduce or extend profits uh, depending on the circumstances. But in this instance, uh, governments is not going to ultimately not going to be uh, passive 49%. It will be able to exercise its rights in that particular regard. And uh, one hopes that uh, those who will be given that responsibility as we go into the future are able to exercise their muscles uh, in an appropriate way to ensure that there isn't uh, a disadvantageous approach as far as the public uh, sector is concerned uh, in, the, in this relationship. And then thirdly, uh, the aim of any uh, commercial enterprise should certainly be that it, it must make uh, a profit uh, and that its shareholders must actually benefit. Uh, at the end of the day. Otherwise, the shareholders will start raising concerns about whether the enterprise is being run properly or not, which is what in normal commercial uh, sense will happen. And uh, one works on the basis that that is how uh, SAA will operate into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Um, Minister, uh, just correct me. I, I seem to recall that you made... Um, reference to, to some, some research being done um, uh, in terms of the due diligence. Let me just find it. I'm sorry about this. Um, that, that, uh, that there was due diligence done, I think, by uh, um, Norton Rose Fulbright. Um, um, is that correct? If so, um, can we have a copy of the report, please? There were various sorts of due diligence exercises conducted, and they were conducted depending on the type of uh, assurances that were required uh, with the, the necessary professionals, so that is correct. And secondly, again, I'll have to take legal advice on whether this being what the chair has correctly called a live transaction uh, enables us to provide you with that report. So let me consult with lawyers in that regard and then get back to you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Minister. Um, Minister, SAA um, 
currently is is a creation of an act of parliament um the saa act i forget the the numbering and the year and so on um what measures are in place and how will that act um be amended to accommodate this this change in ownership chair again this is a matter that the legal teams are working on and eventually as government we will work out an efficient way in which parliament can deal with this matter uh, but clearly saa no longer will exist after this transaction is concluded in the form that the current act anticipates uh, and therefore there will have to be a change but uh, the precise mechanism is something that we will deal with in due course um thank you minister the the as as it is an act of parliament it and i'm just trying to get to understand the, how the shares can be disposed of without first changing the act or rescinding the act or doing something um and and there's always the possibility that parliament will refuse to to amend the act as to make this deal possible so um that that's why i'm asking the question uh, i don't think it's simply a legal uh, technicality minister but you know i could be wrong but uh, yeah i i don't see it that way i see it as as quite a substantial issue um in in this whole um, transfer of ownership but yeah I, i i don't really have a question but as you've indicated you'd like to respond to my comments yeah uh so firstly the act will have to be the minister just one second um, so. i'm going to ask that we sort of uh on release uh i'm advice and reminded that there is this afternoon at 2 um and so we are expected to conclude meetings by 1300 hours to allow members to um transition from committees and so on and we still have honorable somio who has got questions to 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 ask All right minister over to you so let me be uh, help you by being very brief the act will ultimately be uh, repealed uh, but the transaction has to be concluded first and there's also the question of whether what is the relationship between the companies act and the saa act and which informs what process so but the ultimate uh, exercise that will be uh, a parliamentary responsibility will be the repeal of the act thank you chair thank you minister um yeah i am uh, given that i'm i'm being pressurized by the chair now to wrap up let me let me leave it at that it's um uh, minister you and i have gone go back a very long time in our our debating and uh, and uh, i think we remain friends through it all and i certainly hope we do even when i'm sometimes rather rude to you and and i occasionally you may be a little bit less polite than than i would like to me but um, i won't call you rude but um thank you for for the answers that you have given i i am disappointed that that we're not getting a full disclosure as as i think we should um but there you are that's it um th and thank you to the minister of finance i i um 
I am I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we haven't heard more from the DG of um, Finance, uh, um, Mr. Marco Gianni. It's going to be a sad day when you leave us in a week or two's time, um, or you leave the, the, the state employee. I, I, I wish to place on record that um, during your time in National Treasury, it's been a pleasure to work with you. Um, both um, whatever minister, including with Minister Kodan as Minister of Finance, um, um, thank you for your contribution to ensure that the, the state capture and the finances, the funding of the country have remained um, uh, above state capture in, in the respect of, of National Treasury, certainly. Um, thank you very much. And I, I really do hope that you um, have a, a, a happy um, recreation in some other role and that we bump into each other again. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you I'm very much, Honorable Lees. Right, Honorable Somia. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Lees, for the compliment and thank you very much. This is the GG again. Sorry, Chair, I'm judging your meeting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that as a Jesus, of, uh, com comrade, Honorable Lis and Minister Godana, good old pals, and so yeah, you know, us have been at it for many years, Chair. Yeah, you know, all right. I'm also responsible also. No, we'll come to you, uh, DJ Bamba, uh, Bamba. Right, Babusami, over to you. Yeah, well, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Um, good, good uh, afternoon, the ministers, DJs. Uh, colleagues, the the the, the matter uh, which has put um, on a number of questions uh, is a matter that relates to uh, the sale um, uh, of uh, SAA, and uh, this morning we've heard that uh, that sale does not refer to the entity. Uh, it 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 uh, therefore couldn't uh, require. Uh, the extensive involvement or consultation uh, with the uh, Treasury, though there's acknowledgement of uh, Treasury's um, uh, involvement in terms of the areas where there were uh, consultations. And secondly, in the same way, we've heard that therefore that responsibility resides with those who are uh, on the line um, in terms of accountability, uh, which is the uh, department concerned, uh, which is DPE. Um, my question uh, is a question which uh, um, the minister has answered, uh, which was uh, posed by um, my colleague Mente, uh, in terms of the actual cost which would have determined uh, the percentage split um, towards the uh, uh, the uh, strategic uh, shareholders uh, and what is being held by a government, 51-49 split. Uh, and, and, and that answer uh, begins to be indicative uh, and filters into the effect that uh, currently um, uh, this deal has not been finalized. And, 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 and therefore, the actual uh, uh, areas that uh, relate to uh, the operations 
uh, are in the hands uh, of the strategic partner, which which is uh, in this instance um, uh, the uh, chosen and preferred uh, um, provider. And, and therefore, Minister, uh, I, I tend to be comfortable uh, when when uh, it had to be stated uh, in that in that form. But the the, the pertinent question uh, for myself is that uh, are there any timelines uh, for the actual finalization uh, of this uh, of this deal? Because uh, the the area uh, which uh, determines uh, stability is the area that relates to uh, the finalization of the deal, and therefore uh, the exposure. Uh, of such a kind of a contractual agreement uh, to um, those who contribute as taxpayers generally. So far, um, nothing of the sort that uh, is somewhat into the exposure uh, of the of the of the populace. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Samuel. Uh, you've been right in all of the comments that you've made. And as far as timelines are concerned, in general terms, uh, we would like it to be sooner rather than later. There have been a few uh, obstacles that have delayed the process a bit because I would have preferred uh, the regulatory processes to have started uh, much earlier in the year. Uh, but I will keep Parliament informed uh, once one or two of these uh, processes are uh, on the way. And the hope is that in the next two months, three months, uh, at the latest, we must be able to conclude uh, all of the regulatory processes and finalize this transaction. But you know, when lawyers are involved, you never know which way things are gonna go, uh, but that would be our intent. Thank you, Chair. But we some are fine. No, I'm 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 fine. Thank you very much, uh, um, uh, for for such. But the limitation is is the question of the finality of the of the process, and and therefore uh, as to the time when Parliament would be uh, involved in terms of the detail, uh, which which ought to inform uh, such a such a process. And lastly, for me. Um, is that the 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 actual process as we have been involved in terms of these kinds uh, of briefing? Um, we don't have to necessarily uh, be uh, on the negativity uh, of the uh, actual process. Uh, probably find way um, of uh, providing a sense of support um, in as far as the success uh, for. Uh, government uh, serving uh, a scheme in terms of its own uh, exposure uh, to unnecessary expenditure uh, in a way. So, so, so the quicker the process uh, is facilitated, the better it is for us to know uh, and uh, to be assured as to no further uh, commitment by government in as far as the uh, actual running of the entity uh, going uh, going forward. Thank you, Chair. Okay. 
Any reaction or response to that, Minister? No, just to say I confirm and agree with that sentiment. Thank you. Okay. Right. Colleagues, I must apologize. You know, when we, we are laboring under the impression that there's no sitting, you sort of uh, want to give the meeting more, more, more flexibility and more latitude. Uh, but I think we also have to um, respect the budget votes. In fact, there was a budget vote this morning uh, when we when we started um, as well statistics, um, and so we're going to have to navigate um, the um, the budget votes over the next couple of weeks. Um, the only sitting house sitting is Africa Day on the twenty fifth of May. So for the next few weeks, we've got a a complex anyana working environment. Just uh, maybe one thing from my side. Um, so, if I'm if I'm hearing you well, uh, Minister, you DPE um, will be taking care of the historic liabilities of uh, SAA. Um, if 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 that's what I'm hearing. Um, how is that going to be done? What process is being followed in that regard? Uh, that, that has arisen, Chair. Thank you for the question. Uh, already through the business rescue process. So in the first instance, in the business rescue process, uh, this takes the liability to a certain section of the creditors, as Mr. Lees referred to it. Uh, those were resolved within uh, the business rescue process, and they were paid their due. Uh, and there's a certain amount that's outstanding that was part of the 10.5, and the further amount in August 2022 and August 2023 uh, with another set of creditors. Secondly, in respect of staff, uh, the VSPs uh, or voluntary service packages during uh, the business rescue process, but largely negotiated by ourselves with the labor unions, uh, was agreed to and then paid out uh, again as part of the 10.5 billion that was made available. The uh, unflown ticket liability is uh, the third area and some of that has been paid some of that needs still to be paid or dealt with through vouchers as SAA is currently doing um, so that that is also then taken care of the fourth area would be responsibilities in relation to restructuring of subsidiaries and as you will see from uh, our extensive response <coughs> excuse me sent yesterday uh, both AirShefs and SAA Technical have been uh, restructured and in both instances in the current financial year, meaning from the 1st of April, both those enterprises, particularly SAA Technical, uh, will return to profitability and uh, that is a consequence both of uh, stabilizing operations and putting in proper management on the one hand but also reducing the cost structure and regrettably staffing uh, through that process as well. But uh, the approach 
that uh, business rescue allowed is one which is better uh, than liquidation because the staff uh, that leave, as I said, have some uh, buffer before financial buffer as they move into uh, new areas of employment. So those are some examples, Chair, of uh, the liabilities being met. And what is outstanding, as I said earlier on, is uh, the creditors, uh, where two installments are due to them, and the unflown ticket liabilities at this particular point in time. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, uh, Minister, for that. I think those are matters that we may want to probe further um, at some point. Um, I think, colleagues, I'm going to ask that we uh, bring this meeting to an end there. So on the basis that, of course, this is a matter that is a work in progress. It is a live transaction and it is uh, uncharted waters in the kind of circumstances in which we find ourselves in. And of course, there are still audits that are outstanding, which of course is fundamentally our purview. Um, and that is wherein we may be able to find to a large extent the questions which, the, the answers rather to the questions that we have. And I wish to reiterate that uh, the current events, then the developments that have taken place at SAA uh, have what have compelled us, of course, to sort of keep our eye on that ball because our initial basis of interacting with SAA was and continues to be that we wanted the financials um, because the, there has to be a, a, a logical parliamentary conclusion uh, on this matter. And uh, well, of course, the submission to parliament of the financials and annual report is a requirement of law. So that, that is why then SAA will remain firmly on our radar. And that uh, as a common cause, SCOPA does the post-mortem of financial management or mismanagement in uh, in the public uh, account space. So those audit outcomes uh, that have been concluded and those that are outstanding will still have to be interrogated by the committee in any case. So this uh, pending transaction or as it's ongoing does not deter us from that uh, responsibility. So that remains firmly um, on the table. That's the, the, the first point. So I think uh, colleagues, as indicated, we will find time as a committee to um, discuss this matter and other related matters in terms of onward uh, communication processes. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, colleagues. I think you have uh, you know, been very thorough in, 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 your, in your questioning um, today. And I think uh, we move closer to a broader enlightenment. I just uh, think that the complexities which are involved currently uh, are, 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 are necessary to strengthen Parliament's own oversight on entities. So maybe, Minister, I think that must also be appreciated that we must use this as a case study on how we can improve 
parliamentary oversight, particularly um, over SOEs, uh, which uh, remain a perennial headache uh, because of events of past. Uh, but it is us who are in, you know, positions of responsibility at this point, and therefore we must be equal to the realities of the responsibility. The realities of state capture and related matters are not uh, uh, are not in dispute. I think all of us agree um, of those fundamental realities that took place there. So there will be ongoing interaction, but I think um, it remains a live transaction, as I've said, and it must run its course um, so that um, we can and see how it goes. The third aspect, colleagues, I am in receipt of uh, a letter from the leader of the UDM, which will be circulated to uh, colleagues uh, on SAA-related matters as well. It was brought to my attention um, yesterday. You will receive it um, as part and parcel of the flow of information that is there. I really want to thank the Minister of Public Enterprises and the Minister of Finance for appearing uh, and appearing for the committee um, this morning. Um, I think that uh, they, they, they have given the responses which uh, fall within their uh, space of responsibility and we will digest them as we should and then um, see where we do that. Um, noting what Honorable Lisa said as my last um, comment, in so far as the DG of uh, who National Treasury is concerned, um, one can only say thank you, uh, sir, for your service to to to, to the country, um, and we wish you well um, in your future endeavours, uh, with the hope that you will not be lost to the public service. Um, I think that. Uh, there have been series of investments that government and the state and the public have made uh, in you, and you must be readily available to uh, assist the country in what is a very difficult task of unscrambling the, the egg of... Well, all that is wrong in the public service. Uh, we can only say well done, good and faithful ser servant and hope that um, National Treasury will insulate itself from uh, the continued brain drain, uh, which is there, the loss of uh, you know institutional skills, knowledge, and expertise, which have uh, served National Treasury in good stead, uh, continues to, to, to worry us. So, Babas, yeah, we wish you well. Uh, and um, I think we will be able to leave it uh, at that. Um, and so, colleagues, we, 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 we part in the meeting on the understanding that the SAA matter is a work in progress and that there are developments that will be taking place and uh, we will be touch basing with them as and when uh, it is necessary. Right, Honorable Hatebe with an H. Well, th th thanks, since we are in the mood of sending congratulatory messages. I just want to say, Chair, 
uh, we might uh, or be seen as if we are very hostile in engaging with ministers. But I'm going to take this opportunity, uh, and this is a call to say thank you to Minister Godin for always availing himself and staying until the end of the meetings. We have had inst instances where ministers come and leave uh, in the middle of the meeting. Uh, we might be hostile to one another, but one thing he does, he stays until the end of the meeting, and we call upon all other ministry to follow suit and, and take heed uh, to what the minister is doing uh, as a sign of um, accepting oversight and accountability when it comes to the standing committee on public accounts. Um, we really appreciate your time. But that does not mean uh, we're going to be uh, treating each other with kids' gloves, Chair. But I thought I should uh, congratulate and, and show our sense of gratitude. It makes our oversight much more easier. Thank you so much. Um, right. Um, let me therefore uh, say, Minister of Finance, if there are any concluding remarks on your side, then Minister of Public Enterprises, if there are any concluding remarks on your side, and then we'll call it a day. No comments, sir. All right. Thank you very much, Minister of Public Enterprises. No, thank you, Chair, and thanks for this this interaction, and thanks for the understanding. As you and you've you've actually created a new phrase, a live transaction. So this is a live transaction, and and you're absolutely right that uh, there's no precedence in this particular instance. So. Uh, I think it's important that we feel our way collectively uh, through it. And I think the key, uh, Mr. Lee, is, is apart from knowing each other and friendship, uh, is uh, even in robust debates, we must uh, continue to have a, a sense of mutual respect amongst us, and that will take us a long way. And finally, Chair, your point about oversight, I think, is an important one that there are lots of lessons, not just for Parliament, but also for ourselves in, in government, as I pointed out earlier on. And uh, we, we have to constantly uh, reformulate what oversight means, uh, particularly in the depth of uh, knowledge that is required, but also the depth of information that is required in order to conduct uh, proper oversight and learn the lessons of the state capture period and undertake uh, whatever systemic changes are necessary in that regard. But thank you for the interaction this morning. Right. No, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Um, colleagues, thank you. Um, the, yeah, I think we, 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 we are all in agreement about the realities of state capture. <clears throat> I always just wonder, Uti, we in acknowledging it, we must not be trapped in lamenting it, but be proactive in learning the lessons and instituting corrective action and practical action steps mm -hmm. to come out of it so that it does not repeat itself. Um, because the easy phrase is to uh, you know capture the reality of the past and speak about it and talk about it, but the biggest question, what are we doing now? And I think that is the burden of responsibility and the burden of leadership to do things now when you are in and to take accountability and responsibility for your time now. So, yes, we will continue uh, interacting. 
colleagues, just one announcement. Um, I we, we have not received the responses from ESCOM. Uh, and that is why you may have seen that the draft report uh, in certain areas, in certain respects, is a bit scant. Uh, because the deadline that we had given them, they have not met of the, out those responses. So I think we're going to have to have a discussion amongst ourselves um, during the day about how we proceed with tomorrow's meeting on that report. But I'm just going to uh, check with the secretary, committee secretariat now how far we are sourcing those responses so that we can get them well ahead of, of time. So we'll have a discussion. Colleagues, thank you very much for today. Um, I hope they're not going to blame the ANC, ne? I got you. Thank Powers and privileges. That's saying, I hope it's not the mess of the ANC that you're not, not getting right, it. Thank you. Right, right. So we will be in discussion as 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 that uh, about that, so we can see how we structure that particular one um, uh, to, to, today uh, for tomorrow. Um, it's just that we have not received it, so we may be handicapped in proceeding tomorrow. But again, we will see um, how it goes. Colleagues, there are budget votes at uh, two o'clock, so let's, without any further ado, um, thank you very much, and um, the meeting stands adjourned uh, with understanding that the matters of SAA are ongoing and therefore the interactions are ongoing. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, colleagues and the ministers. Recording Bye. stopped.